Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you for the next four hours until... 10 o'clock tonight, a number of things to get to throughout the course of the show. But where we'll start tonight, where I wanted to start tonight is with the Phillies. With spring training officially underway. Baseball, not real baseball, but some form of baseball back over the course of this weekend. Um, and it was nice. It was nice to have the Phillies back on and the Phillies, you know, back to focus on as we get ready for what's a very exciting, certainly a season that, that – should be exciting and has a lot of optimism surrounding it right now, a lot of optimism surrounding this team, and rightfully so. I mean, you look at this Phillies team on paper, they're very strong, and in many ways, they're improved from last year. But for them to continue to build on what they accomplished, win in the National League, and for them to be in that kind of position again, let's face it, it's going to require a lot of things to go right for this team. It is. It's going to require a lot of a lot of things to go their way, a lot of bounces to go the Phillies' way, and, you know, it's not going to be easy. And I think this is something that, in many ways, people are, are, are overlooking. And the question I have for you to start the show tonight is, are the Phillies more likely to win the National League East, or are they more likely to miss the playoffs altogether? And if you want to get in, 215-592-9494, 215-592-9494. But are the Phillies more likely to win the division, or are are they more likely to miss the postseason altogether? And I'm really interested to see where people fall on this, because I think it is more likely that they miss the playoffs altogether than them to win the NL East. And if you want to get in here, 215-592-9494, And I think part of how we view this team is that in many ways, we only remember how it ended. Like, we only remember the postseason. We only remember that magical late September into October and into early November. And it was a magical run, but let's face it, for the majority of the year, this was an extremely frustrating team. I mean, this was a team a week before, you know, 10 days before they clinched their playoff spot in Houston against the Astros. I mean, we're talking about blowing this thing up. They're playing a series down in Washington where they're getting hammered by the Nationals in game one of a doubleheader. And I think in so many ways we've forgotten what this team was 
for the majority of last year. And that happens when you have this kind of finish to the year, when you have this kind of run where this team is able to to go deep into the postseason, ultimately go to the World Series, that's going to overshadow some of the things that went wrong. But let's face it, this was a team that was very inconsistent, a team that backed their way in. And when we look ahead to this year, one thing we are not factoring in nearly enough is the Bryce Harper injury and the impact that that's going to have. Because we're not just talking about a starting player or even an all-star with Bryce Harper. We are talking about one of the 5 to 10 most valuable players in the sport right now. We are. And this is a guy I've been critical of in the past, but even I can't deny after last year what Bryce Harper means to this team, the impact that he has both you know, in the clubhouse, in the dugout, when he's around, and certainly on the field. He's one of the most important players in all of baseball. So he's continuing to recover, but you're talking about dry swings. Like, they were ways off from Bryce Harper even considering returning to the lineup. Here was Rob Thompson earlier this offseason talking about Bryce and when they expect him to be back. Yeah, I think we're looking really at the about the all-star break where he can start DHing, and and, uh, and probably it's going to be months, six weeks after that to build, build his arm up and then finally play in the outfield. So, you know, we really think he's going to be in the outfield at some point next year. So you're talking about not having Harper even hitting until the all-star break, not playing the field until until September? I mean, that's essentially what you're looking at here with Bryce moving forward. That's a major concern. You look at this team, you look at what they were last year, you know, yeah, they were the National League champions. They had a great run in the playoffs. But in the regular season, this was a team that won 87 games. This was a team that didn't clinch a playoff berth until two days before the end of the regular season. Trey Turner, a, a huge addition, no doubt. He's going to help this team in so many ways, offensively, defensively, top of the order, fills a lot of the needs the Phillies had and solves a lot of a, a lot of their problems. But let's look at some of the other factors here. Like, we're counting on and, and need these things to happen. You need Nick Castellanos to have a bounce back here. You know, you're counting on a guy like Craig Kimbrell to come in and play a legitimate role in this bullpen. Craig Kimbrell is an aging reliever and typically those kind of guys don't really recapture what they've lost you know you're counting on improvement from Alec Bohm from Bryson Stott from Brandon Marsh you need these guys to take a step forward offensively you know and on top of all that you're counting on all the things that went right last year to go right again like you're counting on Jose Alvarado because in 2022 I hope that's the case but when you look at his career, you look at his track record, you know, evidence and history would lead you to believe Alvarado, there's a decent chance he's going to take a step back here. You know, you're looking at a guy like Sir Anthony Dominguez, and hopefully he can stay healthy, something that's been very difficult for him to do throughout the course of his career, and pitch well again. You you need JT Real Muto and Kyle Schwarber to continue to be the same guys that they've been, not show any sort of decline, and as they age, you'd assume a decline is just inevitable. Like, you need Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler to be as great as they were last year with no regression. We're counting on a lot of things to go right with this team that, that didn't, while also counting on everything that went right last year to go right again. And this was a team that even getting that sort of luck, even getting some of those great efforts from some of those starting pitchers and, and Schwarber, it was an 87-win team. And I'm not saying it's impossible, but you look at the odds here. The odds are against the Phillies in terms of continuing to improve. And not to mention, this is a great division. 
You have two 100-win teams in your division. Not just two good teams, but the Mets and the Braves both won 101 games last year. You know, winning this division is, I would say, if anything, unlikely. The Phillies are probably still the third-best team. If I had to pick right now, I would I would guess they get in as a wild card. I would say that is that is where I am with the Phillies right now. They probably get in as a wild card. But winning 90 games is going to be a real struggle. And I want to know, to start the show here, what do you believe is more likely? I understand the optimism. I understand, you know, the excitement. You should be excited. This is a team coming off a great season. And they have a talented roster. But do you think it's more likely they win the NL East or they miss the playoffs altogether? I think it's pretty clear the odds, if you had to pick one of those, are that they miss the playoffs altogether. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. And before we go to the phones here, I'll uh, ask my producer, Francisco Rojas, uh, producing the show tonight. What do you think, Francisco? What's more likely? Phils win the NL East or they miss the playoffs altogether? So I want to give you your props. It's a great question because I've been sitting here for like 15 minutes trying to going back and forth on this. Um, it's I want to say this. It's a really, obviously, it's a really, really good NL East. I mean, the the Mets and the Braves are still loaded on paper. This is We're, we're talking about regular season-wise. They're still close to 100-win teams this uh, Hundred win teams this year. They're 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 still both that good. Um, they're still better than the Phillies, like, uh, hundred percent to me. Um, but at the at, at the same time, the rest of the National League is pretty thin as far as if you want to look at the three wild card spots, like the Mets, Mets, Phils, and Braves. The two of those three teams are definitely going to make the playoffs. Um, obviously, I think you all three think. will. You all all three will. But I'm saying two of the three will get wild card spots. Just you know, uh, looking going into the regular season, the Brewers, the Brewers, if if they can get some offense going, some some uh, if they can get a bat, maybe the trade deadline, they might be a team. But they kind of pulled. Uh, I mean, they faltered last year and they ended up losing to the Marlins. Um, you know, to give the Phils be able to you know get in the playoffs there. Um. Dodgers and Padres, one of both of those teams are definitely making the playoffs. Like I think, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, I mean, if 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 I have to go one way, I would say, I guess I guess win the division. I, I would probably say it's tough though because it's it's tough, man. Yeah. But no, I'd say win the division. No, fair enough. And if you want to get in, two one five five nine two nine four nine four two one five five nine two nine four nine four. And yeah, I mean, if Bryce Harper wasn't out for the first half of the season. I'd probably say win the division too, but that's a huge factor. Like, because not having Bryce causes a ripple effect throughout your team. It does. It means you're going to need to rely on a guy, you know, like Derek Hall in your lineup. I'm not sold on Derek Hall. I know people are excited about him. He came up last year, hit a few home runs. But you look at after a few days, really, certainly after a couple weeks, Teams figured him out pretty quickly. Like he wasn't a guy that was really difficult to get out. Okay, fine. You're gonna take you're gonna take Castellanos out of the outfield some days, which is the right move. He's not a very good fielder. Then you're counting on offensive production from like guys like Dalton Guthrie, who are gonna be in your starting your starting lineup here. And you're also, as I said, you're counting on Bryson Stott taking another step forward. You're counting on Bohm taking another step forward. You're counting on Brandon Marsh taking another step forward. We know with, with young players, you know, progress is not always is not always linear. Like there are going to be ups and downs. Look at Alec Bohm. 
Alec Boehm kind of figured it out last year. Alec Boehm's 2021 season was not very good. I mean, he was not a great offensive player, and we know he has his issues defensively. You need Bryson Stott to be the guy he was at the end of the season offensively and not the guy he was early in the season who they couldn't play over, you know, Didi Gregorius. So when we look at this team, I understand the excitement, and I don't think it's misguided. But there are a lot more questions surrounding the 2023 Phillies team than I think we would like to admit. And I think when you look at that fact, like, is it more likely for them to win the division or miss the playoffs altogether? I think missing the playoffs altogether is much more likely, but that's the question I have to start the show. Uh, Is it more likely Phillies win the NL East or miss the postseason in 2023? 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. Let's get it started with David in Delco. What's up, David? Yeah, hey, good evening. Um, Yeah, I really think that it's more likely that the Phils miss the playoffs than uh, win the East. And the reason is you look out West, you have L.A. and the Padres. They just have all these teams that they can beat up on. The Cardinals and the Brewers, I mean, they're playing the Reds and the Pirates, so they might as well be AAA teams. And, you know, when you have three teams going up for the highest seed of the NL East and will probably have the most wins of the year, I just don't know if the Phils can break that 90 mark, and I think that's the bare minimum that they're going to need in order to break into the playoffs. Also, another thing that kind of kind of worries me is everybody's just like, oh, well, Bryce Harper will come back at the All-Star break. Like, we're going to be good to go. No, this is a long season. You're going to lose a starting pitcher. You're going to lose a bat. I mean, that's just the reality. So Bryce Harper is then going to step in and fill whatever bat is lost. And then hopefully, you know, the young kids in AAA can step up and, and fill that role. But I just don't know between the depth, the schedule, and our division, and then also the weakness in the rest of the NL if they can get to that marker of winning the East. Yeah, I, I would agree, David. And I think you look around at, at the National League as well. You know, you're not just going to be able to beat up on bad teams. Like, you got to play the whole league now, you know, more. You're not going to have the same amount of games against the Nationals, against the Marlins. And you look at some of the other teams in the National League, like, I think the Milwaukee Brewers, who you only finished a game better than anyway. I think the Brewers are, are going to be better this year. You know, I think there's a chance a team like the Giants in the West, I think there's a, a good chance they're better this year. And it's not like the Phillies had a ton of margin for error and they made the playoffs by a game. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, the Cardinals always show up. And so that's going to be a, a good division. And, you know, I'm just honestly already kind of looking forward to September and October baseball because that's when it just gets so exciting. But thanks yeah. a lot for having me on, and uh, I love your show. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it, man. And, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I'm just looking at it right now, and, I mean, this Brewers team is a good team. Like, the Brewers, you, you look at last year, the Phillies had pretty much everything go right for them, aside for, obviously, they, the Bryce injury did not go right. Like, clearly, that was a significant injury. But aside from that, the Phillies, unless I'm misremembering, I don't think they lost, like, any significant player for a significant amount of time. Like, you lost uh, Castellanos for a stretch in September, which at that point— Lost them all year. Right, right, exactly. It didn't really matter that much anyway. Like, everything went wrong for the Brewers last year. 
like they had a lot of injuries. They had traded Hater at the deadline. Still don't really understand, you know, why they did that. I know they couldn't re-sign him, but if they don't trade Hater, like the Phillies might not even get in the playoffs, to be honest with you. Like the Brewers might end up getting in and and we might not be having this conversation. But they had a lot of things go wrong for them last year. And you still only finished in front of that team by a game. They're going to be better. Like, some of these other teams, like, ultimately, I don't think Miami's going to finish ahead of the Phillies, but I think Miami's going to be better this year. They have some good young pitching. Like, there are other teams out there that have improved throughout the course of this offseason, and I don't think, you know, it's a situation where we can just pencil in a playoff spot for the Phillies. And if you can't win the division, it's certainly not a gimme that you're getting in, and, and certainly even if you're in a wild card situation, you got to win that three-game series. That's a crapshoot. TK, I will say this, though, just to counter that. Like, you're right. The Phils had a lot go right for them last year, and they, they kind of had to in order for them even to get to the World Series. Um, but this year, th- there's kind of ro- a tiny bit of room for error thanks to Dave Dombrowski, right? Um, you hired Preston Mattingly, uh, who's the head of the player development uh, system now. And you got three. You got Painter. You got uh, Abel McGarry coming up. Your your farm is, is, is better now. It's, it's on the up and up. Um, and you made uh, additions like Gregory Soto, Strom, uh, Kimbrell. Um, you add depth to that bullpen. Now you get Trey Turner. Um, I, I just think that I'm not saying that that uh, the Phils don't need things to go right for them like every team does. But this year compared to last year, there's more room for error is all I'm saying. So, I mean, you're going to have an injury or two here, here or there. But I'm saying they have, the, they have more depth now, so I'm a little more confident you know, going into the season. In, in some ways, that's true. But also, like, the and I think the bullpen is clearly, the bullpen's clearly better. There's no doubt. But can I tell you that I'm, like, extremely confident that Jose Alvarado is going to come back and pitch the way he did last year? No. I mean, how could you be extremely confident in that, considering what we saw those years before with Alvarado? But you I, would, can- I would hope he's the same, but he's largely a wild card. Like, Sir Anthony Dominguez, before last season... He hadn't been healthy in four years. Like, how is he going to hold up throughout the course of a full season? You know, this is a lot to be asking for. And as far as those young pitchers, yeah, I mean, you feel confident in them. But I, I if you're asking for Andrew Painter to essentially save your season in a way, I don't think that's a wise move. You're talking about a 19-year-old prospect. And I, I, I understand what you're saying, but also at the same time, like, I mean, Mets fans might be having the same questions about Edwin Diaz. I mean, the, the guy in 2017 for 2018 for Seattle had an unbelievable year, and the next year he was one of the worst relievers in baseball. I mean, this is how relievers go, right? They, they have a good year, and then they'll have a bad year the next year, and they'll have a mediocre. Like, it's just how it goes. So I understand what you're saying about Alvarado and Dominguez, and especially Dominguez with his health. But, I mean, you can say this about any reliever. Fair enough. Is all I'm saying. Fair enough. But when we look at and we talk about margin for error, to me, the Mets and Braves, their teams with margin for error. They're teams that won over 100 games. Like, they have margin for error. Phillies are a team that won 87 games. Like, this team doesn't have really any 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 path to the playoffs if they're any worse from a win-loss perspective than last year. I think they probably need to get to 90 games. And with, with the way this team is built, and especially without Bryce, I don't think that's a gimme in any sense. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. Let's go to Kashmir and Potsdam. What's up, Kashmir? So, TK, TK, TK. Man, uh, you're killing my vibes right now, man. Come on. But let, let, me, let, me, let me brighten up the spirits. I am, very, I am supremely confident in the Phillies this year. Now, how many now – now, 
TK, I've been calling you. I've been calling the station for, what, five years now, you know? And I'm always the Debbie Downer about the Phillies. I'm always the one saying this, they need to blow it up. They don't have depth. They don't have, the, they don't have the younger talent. They don't have this. They don't have that. The bullpen stinks. They don't, you know, the starting pitching. They don't have a guy behind Aaron Nola. You can't pitch in big games. Uh, TK, I feel those questions for me have been answered. And the reason being, let me give me one minute and I'll explain everything, okay? Mm-hmm. Number one, the depth. They have so much more depth now, it is ridiculous. They have depth in the minors. They have depth in the major league roster. It's not, you're not relying on a guy. You don't need to rely on a guy like Derek Hall. You can bring in Cody Clements, who came, in from, came with the Tigers. And he's a pretty solid, uh, pretty solid bench bat, and he's a very, very good defensive, defensive fielder, and including Josh Harrison, who's 35. But, yeah, he's a veteran. You're not having to play every day. He can fill in every once in a while. And Mundo Sosa, a great defensive player who helped save our season last year. And the bullpen? The bullpen is miles better. The names they have now, it is ridiculous. Matt Strom, Craig Kim- they don't need Craig Kimber to be, you know, 2,000, you know, 2013, 2014 Craig Kimbrell. He just needs to be okay. And, I mean, Alvarado, yeah, I know everyone's worried about Alvarado maybe turning back into what he was, but guess what? Teams fix guys. Sometimes your player development in your organization fixes guys. Look at the Yankees. Look at the Rays. They fix guys all the time. Look at the Dodgers. They fix guys all the time. It can happen. The Phillies, maybe the Phillies are getting there with that organization they have good coaching in the minors. They have good they have good coaching in the majors to help these guys get better. Maybe Jose Alvarado, maybe this is what he is now because they, because they fixed him. Yeah, Cashmere, and I hope that's the case, and I think it's a possibility, but for mm-hmm. us to just bank on it. Like, like when I've talked to a lot of people about the Phillies so far in the offseason, it's just many people, I think, are looking at guys like Alvarado and Dominguez and just kind of like, be what they were last year. I don't think mm-hmm. you can look at it that way. I mean, I mean – Alvarado's history would tell you that he's likely due for some regression. Like Sir Anthony, and obviously, even there... if he's not great, you still have guys like Connor Brogdon, and they brought in they brought in some guys. And honestly, they have a younger kid, a young kid who's coming up. I think who actually I saw who is really great in the minors last year. He throws a hundred miles an hour, and he throws a wicked curveball. His name is Andrew Baker. This kid is disgusting. How good of stuff he has. You know, so, you know, teams have those. The Phillies have depth in the bullpen. They have depth in the minors to go to dig back into. Abel and McGarry, they have they, they have coming up to the to the wind. Andrew Painter, I mean, we don't need Andrew Painter to be you know rookie Justin Verlander. We just need him to be, you know, if he could just be you know half of what he is in the minors, and we should be fine. They have depth in the starting pitching. You know, I mean, they have. I mean, Bailey Falter could be the number six starter, number six. Yeah, you don't even need to use them a whole lot. No, I I hear you, Cashmere, and I appreciate the call, man. Thanks. And yeah, there's a lot to feel good about. I'm not telling you that this team is going to fall apart and win 75, 80 games, but what I am telling you is I think it is more likely that they miss the playoffs and win the division. Like I still think it's unlikely they win the NL East. Like, can they be better than the Mets or the Braves? Sure. I think the odds of the Phillies finishing with a better record than both of those teams is unlikely. You know, I would say them winning 95 games is unlikely. Them winning 90 is kind of a coin flip. Like, it's going to be difficult for them to make it through, and I don't think we're factoring in the Bryce Harper part of this 
nearly enough. Like, you know, especially when you look at a guy like Castellanos, and we'll talk about Nick Castellanos a little bit more when we return here, but the idea that, oh, well, Castellanos just due for a bounce-back season, so it's going to happen, way better. Like, they need Nick Castellanos to be great this year. Because if he's not, it's really going to hurt the middle of that order. Yeah, Trey Turner's going to be phenomenal. No doubt about it. But you need a lot to go right that didn't go right last year while needing a lot of the things that did go right to go right again. You know, and the odds are that that's not going to happen. That's without factoring in injury, factoring in injuries. That's without factoring in some guys regressing not having great seasons that had great seasons last year. And when you look at it, I just think it's more likely this team misses the playoffs than wins the NL East. Um, not to say I, I believe they're going to miss. I think right now they're probably like the fifth or sixth best team in the NL. They're probably a wild card team. Uh, but do I think it's a given that they're going to be playing postseason baseball? No, I don't. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. Uh, when we get back, we will uh, get to, to Nick Castellanos, who is just critically important this year. Also, talk about uh, the big story in baseball this weekend. And it didn't have to do with you know any players or anything like that, but a notable rule change. That's coming up. I'm Tom Kelly with you on the evening show till 10 o'clock, Sports Radio 94 WIP. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a... Monday night, if you want to get in, 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. And that was the ending to – do you know who was playing that game, Francisco? The Braves and – Red Sox. And the Braves and the Red Sox. As the game ends on a a pitch clock violation. And this was the big story in spring training this week. And didn't have anything to do with the actual games. Uh, anything that actually, you know, happened from a player standpoint – but the big story this weekend in Major League Baseball was the pitch clock and the impact that it had. And I I thought it was tremendous. Like, honestly, I'm sitting there watching the game on Saturday, even though baseball, as I have said many times for anybody that listened to me, I, 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 I don't believe baseball has truly started yet. Baseball doesn't truly start until the regular season starts. But I was watching these spring training games and had it on in the background. And, you know, I, I'm, I, it was noticeable, extremely noticeable, how much faster the game was moving. Like, typically, typically, 
you look down at your phone and, you know, scroll Twitter or whatever, and you look back up two minutes later and the same guy's still at the plate. There have been three, four pitches thrown. I'm sitting there on Saturday and I'm looking up. I missed like two batters, like a, a batter gets on. There's an out recorded. And it was amazing how fast, how much faster the game moved with this pitch clock. And, you know, I didn't know if it would have a real impact, but just watching it in, in spring training here, first off, Major League Baseball needs to continue to enforce this. Like, this is not something that they can allow to kind of fall off the regular season. Like, I, I think back to the NFL in 2018, you remember they were real, like, steadfast during the preseason about preventing guys from lowering the helmet. They were calling it every preseason game. Um, and then got to the regular season, you never saw it again because I think in that instance, they realized it was kind of a stupid rule and there was no way that you could like prevent it in a lot of situations. But this pitch clock thing is going to work if they continue to enforce it. And I think this could end up being like one of the best changes in the history of sports, like one of the best rule changes. And I'll throw that out there to the audience tonight. What is a, a, a great rule change in sports history? Because to me, this pitch clock thing... It has the ability to change the game completely and change how we view it and change, you know, the entertainment factor. It was incredible how much faster things moved here and how much more of an enjoyable experience it was just watching a game without a guy stepping out of the box and and, and fixing his gloves and a pitcher walking around the mound and just the dead time, eliminating that dead time could be huge in terms of gaining new fans. I think they can really increase their viewership and expand the game this way. And if you want to get into 215-592-9494, 215-592-9494, I want to know how you felt about the pitch clock. Did you notice it to the same degree that I did? I thought it was incredibly noticeable and I thought it made the game just so much more enjoyable to watch. And what are some of the best rule changes that you think have changed a certain sport for the better? Because I think that's what we're seeing with this pitch clock. I think it could change the game. And one thing that really bothered me was the baseball purists on Saturday, you know, complaining about it and acting like this in any way took something away from the game. Or, you know, I, I don't even know what the argument would be about why you would be anti pitch clock. There's, this should be unanimous. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. Nobody wants to watch all this dead time between pitches. And I've seen the argument, oh, well, in the NFL and football, you know, there's all this time between plays. That's that's a stupid argument. It's a different sport completely. Like, in, in football, there's so much action during the play. You need a little break. With baseball, it's like one pitch, then you're taking 30 seconds. You, you can't continue to go about it that way. I thought the pitch clock was tremendous, and I'd love to get your take on it. And what is a, a rule change that has changed the sport for the better? Because to me, this pitch clock is is incredible. And early reviews, I don't know how you can't love it. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. What do you think about it, Francisco? I know you're a baseball purist, so I'm kind of worried about your, your take here. That's a dirty label, sir. Well, you are. You're 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 one of these baseball nerd nuts, whatever. You I, I guess. Call it. Sure. Well, what did you think of the pitch clock? I, like I'm a it? fan. Yeah, I'm a fan. I, it, it, I immediately, uh, as soon as I noticed, um, because it's noticeable. I mean, it, it was very, the game was moving very quick, and I don't have a problem with it. I don't know why people are complaining about it. Like, what is there to complain about? Like, the only thing I, the only thing I could, I could think of to complain about is 
if something like this Red Sox Braves things happen uh, in the ninth inning, that's not going to happen during the in the playoffs. Season. In the playoffs, it's not, not going to. Yeah, yeah. If his base is loaded, and Jose Alvarado, your boy. It's Three, not going to happen. Why, why, why not? Players are going to adjust. Like, players will adjust. To it. Yes. They? And if they don't, then then they deserve well, it. The one, the one thing I, I didn't like, because we're going to go with what I didn't like right now, um, was I didn't – I think this happened – maybe this happened today, but it happened – maybe it happened during another game. Either way, I think the the pitcher wanted a new ball, and the, the catcher got it from the ump, but they never reset the clock. So what do we got to do about that? There's going to be some – it's going to be some interesting things to watch throughout spring training and then when the regular season starts. I'm just saying, I like, hold on, hold on, just to make you happy, I like it overall. Good. Well, there there you go. And I, I, I am glad. Um, but yeah, I mean, got to set these pitchers straight, too. Like, they don't need a new ball every every pitch. Well, MLB you needs to, they need to do something about that. They don't, they don't need a new ball. Like, throw the ball that's given to you. Just because you throw two pitches doesn't mean you didn't need a brand new baseball. Okay, well, it's like, been going on. Baseball's been doing that for a long time. So that's, that. I mean, it's habit, right? That's habit. So they baseball's got to do something about it. They that. need to break the habits. Like, that's what this whole thing is about. These pitchers, these hitters breaking the habits, you know, make the game move quicker because that's what they need. Like, they need to increase viewership. They need to draw on new fans. And a big part of that, you know, is going to come with, Moving the game along quicker. I think the pitch clock was great. Um, I thought it was it was extremely noticeable and, and a great change. Would love to get your take on it. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Let's go to Mark. What's up, Mark? How you doing, Tom? Good. How are you? Good. Just listen. I've been listening to for years. Um, you know, I listen to you on your take on, uh, on our, uh, you know, uh, Bryce Harper. And uh, what kind of player he is. You know, there's only five players in every league that don't have to be coached or managed. And, whether and the same thing with management. And, you know, managers, you know, put players in position um, to make that player a better player. And that kind of, you know, if you're going to be successful in, every, in, in baseball or any other sport, um, they're the ones that, that are great players, but they're the ones that, that don't need the guy, don't have the God gifted talent um, to get there. But speaking of, you know, how they got there last year, that's never going to happen again. It is so hard to win. I played baseball at a high level, not not professionally, but you know, between fraternity and bereavement and injuries and one third thirty five grapefruit games, one hundred sixty two regular season games, it's so many things happen and. All the, you know, they took caught lightning in a bottle last year. I mean, it was ridiculous. So that'll never happen again. Um, but you know, looking at this roster, the rosters on paper it looks great. But that every roster looks great on paper. But it, at the end of the year, the bottom line is what roster is going to make you win and get you to the playoffs. But and real touch on that pitch count, I got to be honest with you. So you know, I had the same thing Harper did. You know, injury, mm. um, Tommy John. Um, was able to swing the whole nine yards, and then after that, I ended up, you know, having Tommy John. But when you when you look at it, um, it, it's very hard to win. But on the pitch count, I got to be honest with you, I love it. I'm sick and tired of people going out of the box, fixing your glove. Um, you know, the pitcher walking around the mound. I'm anxious to see when a pitcher blows up, what's going to happen. Like, you know, how much time he's going to take. And then when you're talking to the Rojas about the ball changing the ball. They're not going to do it that much anymore because the pitch clock does not change. That's included. So you 
got to really think if you want to take that ball and worry about the pitch clock. But I, I really, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm a pitcher, so I kind of enjoyed it. You get in the mound, you fire, you get your signals, and, and play ball. But what's your take on it? Yeah, no, Mark, I, I agree, man, and I appreciate the call. And, yeah, I mean, I think it makes a huge difference. Like, if you can decrease the time of a baseball game from three hours, five minutes, three hours, ten minutes – the two hours forty two forty five. That's that's a significant difference, man. Like it doesn't seem like it, but there is so much dead time, so much downtime. You need action. Like you just need more action. And I think a lot of the rules, and I don't agree with all of them. Like I don't agree with outlawing the shift. I don't like taking, you know, strategy out of the game. I, I like that part of it. So so I don't agree with that decision. But I understand it. Like I understand why they're doing these things. They're trying to increase action and. The, the easiest way to do it is with the pitch clock and just taking less time, you know, between pitches and, and taking out that dead time. And I think it's been great. And honestly, I'd be surprised. I, I don't understand anybody who can, you know, really be against it, to be honest. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. Our main topic tonight, um, do you believe the Phillies are more likely to win the NL East or miss the playoffs? And I think they're more likely – to 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 miss the playoffs here. And if you and if you want to get in 215-592-9494, time for what to watch for sponsored by Xfinity Mobile. Xfinity Mobile, the sponsor of WIP's Xfinity Mobile Lounge, a different kind of mobile network designed to save you money. And a big thing to watch for this year as far as the Phillies goes, and I would say maybe the biggest key, especially with Bryce Harper out, is Nick Castellanos and the Phillies desperately needing that production from him. As you know, they move forward without Bryce. Here was Rob Thompson uh, the other day on with the broadcast talking about Castellanos and and how important he's going to be. He's worked hard in the off season. I think he's looking for a bounce back, and we're expecting. I I think he's going to be back to his old Nick Castellanos self, and uh, and just the way he's taking batting practice, live BPs. Um, the the bats he's had so far in spring training, it looks like he's letting the ball travel. He's staying back and not going out and, and hunting the ball out in front too far. And uh, he just he just looks good. And you know that's something the Phillies are desperately going to need. And Castellanos hit a home run on Sunday. Hit a home run to the opposite field, which I do think especially is a good sign because we know when hitters are locked in. We see this with Ryan Howard all the time. When a guy is locked in, a guy's seeing the ball well, he's not just pulling it. You know, he's going to all fields. And Castellanos was a, a pretty big disappointment last year. I thought kind of got it going a little bit in the postseason. Weirdly, was more of a contributor defensively in the postseason than offensively. Um, but, you know, came up with a big hit in game one of the World Series. Uh, couldn't come through later in the series. But he's going to be an inc- a critical part of this team. Like, there's no doubt. When you look at Nick Castellanos, he is going to be a, a critical part of this thing moving forward. And again, that's why I think when you look at the Phillies and what they're more likely to do, win the division or miss the playoffs, I don't know how you could say they're more likely to win the division without knowing what you're going to get from Castellanos. Because I think I understand why people would be optimistic about Castellanos reverting to form in the last year. Oh, well... You know, it was just a one-year aberration. But, I mean, we don't know that for a fact. And I think there's way too much assum- way too many assumptions right now going around that Castellanos is just going to return to his form before he signed here. They desperately need him to. 
Like, if Nick Castellanos does not become that guy, does not kind of regain that form that he had when the Phillies signed in that deal, uh, it's going to be really hard for this team uh, to make a run and win this division. And I want to know how confident you are in Nick Castellanos as we head into this year because I think you could afford Castellanos to maybe play more of a background role and, and not be that guy if Bryce was going to be in the lineup. But without Bryce Harper, you need that production. You need guys in the middle of this order. Just looking at how the Phillies are going to set this lineup up the other day, yeah, you'll have Turner and Hoskins and, and Schwarber at the top, but then, you know, you need Real Muto and you need Castellanos. He's going to need to be a run producer. He's going to need to be a guy who knocks in runs this year. And, um, you know, I don't know how people can just assume that Castellanos is going to revert to that form after what we saw last year. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Let's go to Jeff in Doylestown. What's up, Jeff? Hey, what's going on, Tom? How's it going, man? Good. I'm just driving here. Uh, I wanted to touch on the Sixers first, and then I wanted to touch on the new rules, and then I had a good rule change, if that's all right. Yeah, sure. Um, the Sixers, I don't know, Tom. I don't know if you feel the same way, but I'm just really starting to get some like, huge fatigue with them. Um, I can't see anything past a second-round visit this year in the playoffs. I have three main reasons for that. Joel Embiid, I love the guy. I love him as a player, but, I mean, sometimes he really just ticks me off. I think he's, uh, you know, a little on the selfish side. I think he tries to impress people. Like, for example, the All-Star game, what was he doing playing all those minutes in that game? Number two, James Harden. When has he ever made a big postseason run or done anything big in the playoffs? And then number three, I mean, what are we seeing with all the other teams who are making these great pushes to the championships? They always have three superstars. Who is our third guy? Maxi. I mean, he's a solid player, but is he really what's going to get you a championship? I'm not so sure. I, lo- I love him. I like his game, but... I'm not sure he's that number three that gets you there. Well, certainly not. Yes, yeah, certainly not the way he's been playing recently, Jeff. I mean, they need Tyrese Maxey to be a legitimate third scorer, and that was one of the biggest letdowns of that game Saturday night. I mean, he really struggled in the big spot. Agreed, a hundred percent. And uh, you know, we need more. Uh, I'm just, I'm really starting to get. Uh, I hate to say it because, like, I love all the, I let, you know, they're my team, but like. Mm-hmm. They might have to like think about starting over at this point. Yeah, um, I mean, we'll we'll see, but hopefully that's not the case, Jeff. What do you got on the MLB overall change? I mean, I I watched maybe two innings this weekend. I gotta say, it was phenomenal. I couldn't believe how great the gameplay was. Like I used to watch the games and like it'd be like over a minute in between pitches, but this time it was boom, the catcher tossed it back to the pitcher. It seemed like almost instantaneously he was throwing it back, uh, you know, with the batter in the box, and we were getting a lot of pitches in and not wasting any time. Yeah. No, I, I hear you, Jeff. And did, did I hear you right? Did you say you watched 82 innings of baseball this weekend? Uh, no, I, okay. I watched – I said maybe two. Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe two. Okay. Maybe two. Um, All right. But I got a good right. – <laughs> I got a good rule change. I think that it's probably the best rule change in the history of sports. Uh, the invention of the forward pass, I think it was in the early 1900s. Okay. There you go. Well, that's a good one, Jeff, and I appreciate the call. I got scared for a second. I thought Jeff said at first he watched 82 innings. You would have been right of, there with me. Of minor league baseball. 
seriously, Francesco, how much baseball did you watch this weekend? How many games did you did you that I was in? able to watch? Yes. Uh, there was about three or four games in there sporadically, as much as I could, you know. So not eighty two, but it's probably like fifty or sixty innings. Well, that's good because I, I you know, I, I was worried for Jeff right then. If he's if he really watched like eighty two innings or if anybody watched like all of the spring training games, that you need to do something different with your time. So I'm glad it was maybe two instead of eighty two. Well, you just hate spring training. So. Well, yeah. I mean especially did, did you watch any of the Phils today? I didn't I didn't catch any of the game today, unfortunately. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry yeah. for you. Had other stuff going. You, on. Did you miss Boom hit a bomb? Yeah, I, well, I saw the re- I saw the uh, highlight of that, and that's an encouraging sign. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. If you want to get in, two one five five nine two nine four nine four is how you join the show. Uh, time for trust the pregame. Uh, trust the pregame delivered to you by PGW. PGW delivering safe, reliable energy to Philadelphia for more than one hundred eighty years. PGW energy for all of us. Visit pgworks.com for details. And the Sixers back at it tonight uh, after just a crushing, crushing loss on Saturday night to the Boston Celtics, 110-107, back and forth game. Sixers have a double-digit lead. They fall behind by double digits, come back to tie it late, and then Jason Tatum hits a three. Joel Embiid hits a ridiculous shot, but unfortunately uh, after the buzzer, and uh, the Sixers lose. So the Sixers won and one and one here since the um, All Star break, and they take on the Miami Heat tonight. Sixers currently third in the Eastern Conference. The Heat currently seventh in the Eastern Conference. Sixers five and a half point favorites tonight. Um, I don't think it's a terrible night to bet the Sixers coming off that loss. Miami has obviously you know, uh, struggled quite a bit this year. But, I mean, Saturday was really frustrating. And I'll throw this out there for the audience. Obviously, some people probably heading down to the game right now. But what was your main takeaway from that loss to the Celtics on Saturday night? Because mine continues to be, like, the Sixers just aren't beating that team in a seven-game series. They're not beating the Celtics in a seven-game series. They're not beating the Bucks in a seven-game series. And it was incredibly frustrating to just watch that game play out. And honestly, my opinion would not have changed even if the Sixers had found the way to win it. Just because the second half was just in so many ways discouraging. I mean, that was a game the Sixers should have been able to put away. I understand it's the NBA and everybody makes a run. But for the Sixers to fall behind double digits, there were a lot of things in that game that were just very, very frustrating and very, very disheartening. And, you know, when we get back, we'll talk a little more about it and why things went the way they did, why the Sixers didn't win that game. But very, very frustrating. And once again, here we sit with a team heading down the stretch that, I mean, I think this is a make-or-break year for the Sixers. I think they need to get to a conference finals at minimum um, and probably need to get to an NBA finals to really make this a a successful year. But I look at their outlook right now, and I don't feel good about them going up against Boston. I don't feel good about them going up against Milwaukee. And when we get back, we'll talk a little bit more about that, the difference between the, those two teams. And, you know, who's at fault for where the Sixers are right now? Because I think one person in particular deserves a lot more blame for what has gone on with the Sixers than he's received. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. Ryan, Nick, Get you guys first after the break. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP.
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly. Uh, Sixers heat getting started in a few minutes here. And uh, as we did in the last segment, trust the pregame delivered to you by PGW. PGW delivering safe, reliable energy to Philadelphia for more than 180 years. PGW Energy for all of us. Visit PGWorks.com for details. And uh, we'll get into the Sixers a little more in a few minutes here. And just takeaways from that game Saturday night. And I would love to get people's opinions on what they felt about that game Saturday night because I saw a lot of mixed reaction. I saw a lot of Sixers fans who were encouraged uh, by the fact that, oh, this shows we can play with a team like Boston. This shows we can hang with a team like that. I didn't see it the same way. And I look at it, and I think this is you know a situation here where the Sixers are just not beating that team in a seven-game series, and they're not beating Milwaukee in a seven-game series. But I'd love to get your take on it. 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. Some of the other things um, we're talking about so far tonight, as far as the Phillies, this is the, what we talked about at the top of the show here. And the question I have for you, do you believe the Phillies this season are more likely to win the NL East or miss the playoffs? And if you want to get in 215-592-9494, I think it's more likely they miss the playoffs. And I don't even I don't even think that's like a negative take in regards to the Phillies. I think it's just, you know, when you look at this thing objectively, you look at it honestly, making the playoffs is hard. Like obviously, it's a little easier now with the extra playoff team and let's face it, under the old rules, Phillies wouldn't have gotten in if they didn't add that extra playoff team. But you look at last year and I think all we remember with the Phillies is how it ended, and the fact that they went on this great postseason run. And, you know, they they were within two wins of winning the World Series. And I think that does show that this team is capable of winning a title. There's no doubt. They have a lot of talent, and now you know that they have that kind of winning pedigree in big games, which was a big question about them. But I think it's making us forget, in many ways, what happened during the regular season. And during the regular season – 
This was not a team that inspired a ton of belief. They finished with 87 wins. They barely got in the playoffs. Largely, they backed in because the Brewers imploded down the stretch. You're going to be without Bryce Harper for at least, you know, the first half of the season. You're going to be without him in the field maybe all season. I mean, Rob Thompson said a few months ago, maybe you get him back in September. Like, that's a long time to be without one of the best players in baseball. This isn't just an all-star. This is one of the five to ten guys in this sport that I think really matters and you need. Like, without Bryce Harper, it changes the entire complexion of the team. Obviously, you add Trey Turner, it's going to help a lot. You have, uh, on paper, a better bullpen, no doubt. You add Gregory Soto. You add Craig Kimbrell. But we're banking on a lot of things to go right, man. Like, all the things that went right last year... Schwarber, you know, hits for a ton of power. JT doesn't decline and stays healthy. We're counting on those things to happen. We're counting on Alec Bohm, Brandon Marsh, Bryson Stott to take steps forward offensively. It's not always linear progression with with young players. We're counting on Aaron Nolan and Zach Wheeler to both be Cy Young candidates again. Like, that's a lot of things to, to go right two years in a row. And also the things that didn't go right last year. You know, Castellanos um, underperforming. We're counting on a bounce back year from him. You know, we're, we're counting on on some of these other players to, to take steps forward. We're counting on Jose Alvarado to be able to duplicate what he did last year, which he hasn't been able to be consistent throughout his career. Sir Anthony Dominguez to stay healthy. So I think when you add all these things together, if we're picking one here, is it more likely they win the division or miss the playoffs? I think missing the playoffs is the more likely outcome. 215-592-9494. Also, your thoughts on the pitch clock, uh, I think it's tremendous. I think it is one of the best rule changes in the history of sports. If Major League Baseball continues to enforce this, it will have a very positive effect. So I want your take on that. And what do you? What was a great rule change in sports that changes the sport for the better? Uh, all that on the table tonight. So I'd love to get your take. 215-592-9494. Let's go to Ryan and Berwin. What's up, Ryan? Hey, Tom, how's it going? Good, man. How are you? Doing well. Uh, I, just, I agree with everything that you've said about the, the Phillies and particularly the Sixers so far. Uh, I would definitely classify them as risky teams. Uh, certainly hoping for a lot, hoping for a lot of development from the young guys, hoping a lot of guys stay healthy. Um, so I really agree with everything you said there. Um, I'm a bit out of the loop. I haven't I've had a busy week, so I'm a bit out of the loop with the Sixers. Um, saw some highlights, but um, but what I really wanted to talk about was the pitch clock. Okay, um, go ahead. I think it's a really fascinating experiment at this point, um, and I've been a huge advocate for it uh, for over a year now. Like I remember when it was first getting kind of talked about, uh, especially in like uh, we started getting some independent leagues. Uh, um, I thought it was it would really help the game from a spectator point of view, and I do understand some of the concerns that some people have uh, about its impact on strategy and such. Um, but I do think people are tending to blow them a little out of proportion. Like a lot of people are talking about how uh, uh, you know runners can time it up and take advantage of that uh, to steal more bases and and kind of take advantage of that methodical timing uh, to kind of take away from that strategic part of the game. Um, but I think in practice, that's not as big as a concern as some people are going to 
as uh, some people are making it out to be. Yeah, I would agree with that, Ryan. And, uh, hey, man, I really appreciate the call. And, yeah, I think when you look at the pitch clock, like, it's going to take time for, for all the players to adjust. Like, there's going to be, a, you know, a period of adjustment here, but it's going to make the game better. And in the end, when you're talking about rules and you're talking about changing a rule, like, to me, the only thing that should really be, be asked here, obviously, is it safe? And this, this is not any sort of an issue of safety. But it's like, is it going to make the game better and is it going to make the game more enjoyable to watch? Really? Uh, that should be the only thing that factors in. And the answer to that is going to be yes. Nobody goes to a baseball game. And, man, I'll tell you this, somebody who goes down, and, and I work down there in the radio booth uh, engineering the broadcasts for 45, 50 games a year. And I love being down there, but it can get it can get slow at times, man. It can become a slog. Like, nobody's going down there to watch pitchers pace around the mound for, for, for you know, a, a long period of time. You're going down to see action. You know, you're going down to, 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 to watch the game move. And when games are, are two and a half hours, two hours, 45 minutes, it's so much different than when they're 3-10, 3-15. It's just such a difference in terms of the entertainment factor of it and in how it feels watching the game, and I just I think it's a it's a slam dunk move um, for Major League Baseball, and you know they need to continue to enforce it though because they're going to get pushback. I'm sure there are going to be you know pitchers that cry and complain about it. There are going to be hitters that complain about it. I think one of the people who is going to need to adjust to this the most is Bryce Harper because Bryce. Likes to step out a lot. He likes to mess with his equipment and and you know take his time. It's going to be an adjustment, but players need to get used to it because ultimately it's what's best for the sport. It's what's best to grow the game, and that's what baseball needs to be concerned with. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Let's go to Nick in Westchester. What's up, Nick? Hey Tom, how are you? Good. How are you? Good. Um, a lot of the things you're saying are true, and uh, or not. I don't want to use true, but definitely hold water. Um, you, I, I find from reading. A lot of baseball history books, these problems are rhetorical. And it's wild on how they change it through society or through the time and the era to speed the game up or to slow the game down. I can say, living in Westchester, going to the Phillies game, getting up at 4.45 in the morning, if that game stretches late, it kills me. So I love how it is streamlining itself. I think the pitch clock is awesome. And the one thing I wanted to ask you, if if was, um, if memory serves me correct, didn't Theo Epstein and Jr. work are working now for consultants with Manfred to try to help alleviate these problems? So are these um, brain, uh, are these thoughts or ideas of theirs coming in there? Um, that's number one. And, and I have to say, on a personal note, I loved your Gabe Kapler check-ins because I can't <laughs> stand that guy. Okay. And when you and that, who was that, DeFrancesco, who was with you? Oh, uh, no, uh, Mike Angelina. Would Mike do, Angelina. Be, be God, that was funny as hell. Right. That was great radio. All right. Well, thanks, Nick. I'll, I'll make sure I bring back the Gabe check-ins this year whenever <laughs> I'm on. So. Take care, man. I right, appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, Mike Angelina and I, when I was doing the overnight show, at like 4.45 every day, we'd have our Gabe Kapler check-in, which I got to 
be somewhat transparent here. Like, yeah, it was for the audience, but also I would use that segment to just do whatever I could to annoy Al because that's when I know Al was listening on his way in, and I always like to get Al ramped up for the overlap show because one of the things I take pride in is I can annoy Al Morgani more than anybody else can. Uh, just with, you know, my horrible opinions, as he would say many times. But we used to always play Gabe Kapler San Francisco just to uh, ju- just to rile up at Al Morgani. I'm upset I never heard this. Yeah. Well, 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 we'll get back to it this year. I mean, Gabe, Gabe just always has great, you know, hilarious things that he says unintentionally, you know. So we'll, we'll, we'll continue to do that. Uh, you you got you to gotta make sure you're, you're up with what Gabe's saying because he's always saying something. Hey man, he was a he was a manager for an 107 win team just two years ago, right? He was, and that's you know that's why when we you look at the Phillies here, that's a team that's probably going to get better. Like that that Giants team is probably going to be better. They're probably you know they won what 81 games last year, 107 the year before. I think it's somewhat likely, you know, more likely than not, rather that they are are closer to 90 wins than they were. To no 80. way, the Giants. They might be. What did they do this offseason to get better? They lost Carlos Correa to back to the Twins. They had Carlos Correa last year? No, the, the Giants, Giants had Carlos Correa. The, the, the San Fran, not the New York Giants, right? The San Francisco Giants. Yeah. Yeah, they had Correa for like a day. And then he said, oh, well, you're, you're, uh, you're oh, physical. Oh, yeah, right, right. Yeah. They, right, in the offseason. Off yeah. I was about to say, I don't think he was on the Giants last year. No. So, yeah, but uh, they're go- the bottom line is there are going to be teams in the NL that are better than they were last year. Um, and I, I think it's going to be tough for the Phils to get back. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. But I, I also wanted to to get get a little deeper into the Sixers here and what happened the other night. Because the other night, it frustrated me to an incredible degree. Just everything that happened in that game and how the Sixers lost to the Celtics. And I want to know what your takeaways were because mine was that they are not winning a series against either one of those teams. I feel worse. I feel worse about that possibility after the Sixers lost that game. They're just not as good as Boston. They're just not as good as Milwaukee in any way. They're not. They're not as deep. You look at the depth issues. The Sixers basically have six playable guys, essentially. Like, you have, whether it's Maxi or Melton coming off the bench, fine. Then you have George Niang. George Niang is not playable in the playoffs. He is a regular season guy. In the playoffs, he gets exploited. If he's not making threes, he's totally useless. The Sixers are not as well coached as those teams. I have no idea what the hell Doc Rivers was doing at the end of that game. Why he had Melton playing defense on Jason Tatum on the other end of the floor, basically allowing him to get open for that look. It made no sense. So, I... I think the Sixers have a significant coaching deficiency when you go up against those teams but more than anything they're just not as tough and that's what stood out to me the most at the end of that game the other night is they are not as tough and as the Sixers were kind of melting down they give up a double digit lead the Celtics come back go up 10 here's how it sounded as Jalen Brown got a steal on Embiid and went the other way goes up back up top to Harden Jalen Brown with a steal two on one Brown to the basket and the layup. And another timeout for Philly. Celtics back up by 10. They've answered every charge by the Sixers so far. Yeah, the frustration is evident right now. Very little effort in defensive transition. 
A lot of trotting and the Celtics taking full advantage. And And that was just so disheartening to me because it was like Brown comes down, you know, gets that steal, fast break to go up 10. And the Sixers kind of allowed that game to get out of control. You see everybody's kind of just loping around the floor, hard not getting back. And it reminded me a lot of that Miami game six where the team kind of just quit. Here is more from Jeff Van Gundy, you know, talking about the Sixers' body language in that fourth quarter. They're spending a lot of time, wasted time, complaining right now instead of just focusing in on what they need to do. You have to be able to handle your frustrations against great teams like Boston. How about Brown goes right at Embiid and gets the bounce. And on the way back, says he's too small. And you could just see it. Like, you could see them kind of falling apart mentally. And, you know, that's a big disparity between them and a team like Boston that has won, that knows what it takes to win from a mental perspective to not fall apart when things get difficult. And they just continue. When things get hard, they just – there's something about the team that's missing. And they've not earned the benefit from the fan base to to, to believe that anything's going to change. And I want to know after that game Saturday night, like obviously you're probably coming off watching the two most entertaining Sixers games of the year. Thursday night against Memphis, Saturday night against Boston. After those two games, do you feel better or do you feel worse about the Sixers beating Boston or Milwaukee in a series? I feel worse. 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. What about you, Francisco? How do you feel after watching those games? you feel better or worse? TK, even if they had beaten Boston, because they've beaten Boston in the past. They beat them a couple of times last year. It wasn't going to make me feel any better. Like, I, I've said this all year, and I, I know it's just the – it's kind of been like the general thing this year. Like, dude, get me to the – get get to the second round, and then we can talk about whoever they're going to play. Like, n- none of – I, I was telling you before the show, like, the Sixers have done everything under the sun the last three to four years. Um as far as getting the number one seed in the East, um, you know, having 15 to 16 to however many game winning streaks and um, Joel have it going off, having great games, Harden having uh, great performances here, Tyrese showing great flashes of what he can be here, um, Tobias having good games here and there. Like the team has played well over the last three to four years. Um, they have beaten good teams and they've had good performances on the defensive end, offensive end, whatever. It, it it's not going to matter. It didn't matter if they blew out the Celtics this time. I wouldn't have cared. Like they've done everything. It, it's all about the playoffs. Yeah, and, and they're just they're not beating that Boston team in a seven game series. They're, they're 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 just not as good. They're not as deep. They're not as well prepared. They're not as tough. Same thing against Milwaukee. And I hate to feel that way, but but it's it's a it's a it's an awful feeling to just feel like there is no hope. And that's the way I feel. I feel like there's no hope. And I see a lot of Sixers fans who, who, and I talked to some the other night when I was on after that game, that felt better about where the team was. Felt like that was an indication they can hang with Boston. I didn't feel that way at all. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. Let's go to Mark in Boyertown. What's up, Mark? Hey, Tom. How are you? Good, man. How are you? Good. Uh, real quick, I called to talk Sixers, but now that you mentioned baseball, I just want to make a quick point. Um, they started implementing the shift rule, didn't they? Yes. Uh, teams can't can't have more than two guys on either side of the infield anymore. I despise that because if you you tell me there's no shift, 
if you're a good hitter, you just basically wait a split second. I know it's hard to hit a baseball, but you got a guy like Tony Gwynn or Ichiro. You know, they're they're getting hits. They're just hitting the the opposite way towards the third baseline. You know, yeah. I, I feel like it's almost like a crutch. Like Ryan Howard, I used to love Ryan Howard in his prime. But that being said, he was a dead pull hitter most of the time, except for like some of the oppo boppo homers. But if it was a ground ball, it was a dead pull, and the shift would kill him every time. I feel like skill should trump that, and it's almost like they're taking skill out of the game. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I think more than anything, Mark, it's, it's taking strategy out of it. Like, you know, it, hitters who, who can only do things one way and can only pull the ball, I feel like you should make them adjust. Like, you should need to adjust that. I understand why they're doing it. Like, it's going to make it more watchable. There's going to be more action, more hits, but – I find it in that kind of situation when you start messing with messing with strategy, I think that's something where it can really hurt the game. I agree. And to the Sixers, you stole my point exactly about Niang. I, I, you know, my son loves Maxi, and I feel the same way. I like Maxi too, but if he's not giving you him and Niang, if they're not giving you on the offensive end, they're a liability. I mean, they're basically they're not very good at defense, and, and they're going to get exploited. And you know. Last game aside, I you know I watched the whole game and it, it drove me nuts because I can't stand Al Horford. I feel like he stole money from us. He killed us that game, and we need PJ Tucker to play like that every single game. He, in my opinion, he had his best game of the year. He played like with his, you know, he played like he was on fire, and I loved it. With mean, sixteen rebounds, but I feel like like I agree with you. I feel like they probably can't beat Boston in a seven game series. But if if all the stars align, maybe. But, and also I disagree with you on, on the last play of the game. I think Melton played pretty good defense on Tatum there, and you just got to kind of chalk it up and tip your tap to he made, he made a tough shot. Yeah, no, uh, he made a tough shot, Mark, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong on this, but, like, why are you playing him on the other end of the I mean, with six seconds left, I'm, I'm letting him do that. I don't understand the, the strategy. Uh, one more point, if I may. Yeah. Um, besides last game, one thing I've noticed all year, the 76ers are one of the most – they're one of the laziest rebounding teams I've ever seen. They don't box out. Embiid comes to help pick and roll. Whoever's uh, Embiid basically leaving, uh, is say, say there's a miss, nobody nobody moves over to help help D. And they, they don't – like I said, they're, they give up. So many second chance points that it's it's almost non watchable some games because I feel like Embiid by himself could probably snatch most of the rebounds if he wanted to. I feel like he's lazy and I feel like I love Embiid, but I feel like as a whole they're one of the laziest rebounding teams I've ever seen, and the other teams benefit from tons of second chance points. Yeah, I mean there's no doubt about it, Mark, and I appreciate the call. And I I'll, I will I'll actually defend Embiid here, and I can be critical of Joe all times because. I do think as a leader, you know, he, more is required of him in terms of holding guys accountable. Like, if James Harden's loafing around the court, not getting back, I think Embiid's got to kind of take control there. But as far as rebounding and stuff like like, Embiid needs help. He's got no help on this team. He really doesn't. I mean, when you look at it from a defensive standpoint, Embiid and P.J. Tucker are their only real defenders. Tobias tries hard. Tobias is never going to be, you know, a, a, a great defender. Um, I just think you're in a situation where Embiid has very little help. They have very little depth. And I don't think there's any chance that they hold up throughout a playoff run 
you know, and go deep, considering you're going to need Embiid and Harden and Tucker and, and Matt. Like, all these guys are going to need to play 40 minutes, like, minimum. You got no players. Like, you don't have a bench. George Niang is not a guy you can have on the floor in the playoffs. He is going to get hunted and just absolutely destroyed on the defensive end. Uh, you just don't have many options. And, you know, I do think toughness is a problem. You know, I, I think that was a big issue the other night. Boston hung in there. Things weren't going their way early. Jason Tatum had a terrible first half. Jason Tatum hung in there. And in the fourth quarter, he got shots to go. I thought Embiid did a good job of, of playing tough. But everybody else, there's just something missing with this team. And I just don't know how it gets corrected uh, with the players that they have. And obviously, at this point, you're not making any significant changes. I don't see them beating Boston. I don't see them beating Milwaukee. We'd love to know how you feel about it. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. Back to the phones when we return. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you uh, until 10 o'clock tonight on the evening show. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. Some of the things we're talking about tonight. Phillies, do you believe they are more likely to win the NL East or miss the playoffs altogether? I think it's miss the playoffs altogether. I think if I had to you know, pick right now, they're probably a wild card team. You know, They're probably one of the six best teams in the, NL, in the National League. But... Team needs a lot to go right. They're banking on a lot of things to go right. They're banking on everything that went right for them last year to basically go right again. And, you know, for other guys to take steps forward. You need Nick Castellanos this year. You were kind of fortunate last year. You were able to make it through without him. 
without Bryce Harper for half a season, you need Castellanos to be a major, major part of this offense. And, you know, I just don't know how you can just count on that and assume that's going to be the case after what we saw last year. So if you want to get on that, you're welcome to. Also, your thoughts on the pitch clock, which I thought were was just a home run for Major League Baseball this weekend. Um, I think it's going to improve the game, and I think it's one of the best rule changes we have seen in sports. And off of that, you know, what are some of the best rule changes you've seen in sports? I want to get that from you as well. And talking about the Sixers, Sixers playing tonight against the Heat, trailing in this game early. But do you think this team's beaten Boston or Milwaukee in the playoffs? It really that, That's really what it all comes down to anyway. Like, if they're not beating either of those teams, they're not getting to the conference finals. So do you believe they're beating either of those teams in the playoffs? I don't. And, you know, it really makes it hard to feel positive about watching them. It really makes it hard to feel positive about this season. Uh, you know, when you just see an ending uh, that is very similar to the past. 215-592-9494. Also, in a minute, I do want to get to the person who I think is most responsible for the Sixers being in the position they're in and why I don't think he's getting a l- uh, taking enough heat in this town. First, let's go to Mark and Easton. What's up, hey, Mark? Yo, Mark. What's going on? How's it going? Uh, I'm not really confident with the Sixers going against the Celtics or the Bucks. Yeah. Number one, they lack a lockdown defender. You don't have to shut somebody down, but somebody that's going to give Tatum or Giannis or one of their scores a hard time all game. And if you notice with Boston and, and Milwaukee, they have three guys that can score. Milwaukee has uh, the one guy that was here. What's his name? He was here a little couple years ago. Their point guard, George Hill. No, uh, he has. I think he oh, has. Drew, Drew, oh, Drew, Drew Holiday. Yeah, Drew, he was here like Drew a Holiday. decade ago. Yeah. Then they got Middleton. He's a bucket anywhere inside the three point line. He's just a walking bucket. And then you got Giannis. The Sixers don't have that. The Sixers have Harden and they have Embiid. We thought we had that with Tobias, but we don't got that with him. And Maxi looked like he was coming on last year, but. And then another thing, we have no bench. Just like you said earlier, we're going to play with maybe six, seven guys. Yeah, we're not going to we're not going to beat them like that. Yeah, Mark, and having no bench is a huge problem, and especially when you know you look at at your two star players here, James Harden, obviously older, Joel Embiid. We know the injuries that he has been through. Like you'd obviously like to load manage those guys a little bit, not have them play forty minutes a game. But you're not winning. You're you're not winning any any playoff games without those guys playing forty plus minutes. You you're have not. No chance. You're not going to be able. To, you're not going to be able to do that because, like I said, you don't have that third guy that can take pressure off. Right. Like all those teams have a third guy. Every any any good team that you can name, even in the West, they all have three guys that 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 can, you know, score. We have two. Yeah. You know, Harden is going to give us twenty one and ten and. Joel's going to give us 30, but we're going to need that third guy. We we can't rely on, you know, somebody different stepping up every night. No, we need somebody reliable. I, I, honestly, and if it does happen, I think it would either – it would more likely be Maxi than Tobias. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with you, Mark, and I appreciate the call. And that has been what's one of the things that's been so concerning about this year is Tyrese Maxi just – I mean, let's face it, just regressing. Because he has. He, he's completely went backwards this year. And and a lot of the optimism 
after last season and going into this season and why uh, some people believe that running it back with James Harden could work was that you found a third guy in Tyrese Maxey and that Maxey and it was encouraging. Like last year, what he did in the second half, specifically what he did after the James Harden trade, made you feel like, okay, you have a third guy now that's only going to get better. That hasn't happened. I mean, Tyrese Maxey's regressed. Here was Joel Embiid the other night talking about what he said to Maxey after what was a really tough game for him against Boston. Oh, man, um, I just wanted to be aggressive. So it's funny because uh, after the game, I, you know, I was talking to him. I was like, you know, what can I do to help you? We're just having a conversation and try to figure it out, you know, in which ways uh, I can help him. And, uh, you know, we had a good conversation. I think, you know, my main thing for him is to, you know, just be aggressive. And, um, you know, obviously uh, everybody watches film and everybody knows what he does best. And I was just giving him an example about how, you know, I'm trying to watch film on me and, that they probably know what I want to get to. Uh, but then again, there's so many ways you can, even if they want to take it away, there's so many ways you can set them up and still be able to get to whatever shots you want or whatever spot on the floor. So it'll be fine. Uh, but, you know, I told him uh, we're not going anywhere unless he's aggressive and uh, and he just plays freely. So that's, that's all I want for him, to just be... You know, play freely, not have to think about anything, whether it's coming off the bench or starting. Um, just want to be aggressive and play freely. And they're not. I mean, they're not going to go anywhere unless Tyrese Maxey is aggressive. And, you know, he just he seems to have regressed. He seems to have lost some level of confidence. I think some of that has to do with him coming off of the bench and – I mean, that part of it, I think a lot of it does go to Doc Rivers because what was Doc's number one objective this season? It was to develop Tyrese Maxey, and he has gone backwards, and that's on Doc. But to me, Doc is not the main issue. Like The the main reason why Doc is still here and the main reason why the Sixers are in the situation that they are in right now is because of Daryl Morey. And if you want to get in, 215-592-9494, But I think Daryl Morey is most to blame for the predicament the Sixers are in right now. I mean, he, let's face it. He, he came in and he inherited a pretty bad situation, but he's been here for a while. Like, And you look at last year, obviously made the best out of a bad situation with Ben Simmons. But to me, Daryl Morey in the last year, since last trade deadline, has done very little to improve this team. Like, he just has. He didn't do a whole lot in the summer. They brought in P.J. Tucker. Great. He overpaid for P.J. Tucker. And I think P.J. Tucker will be a useful player in the playoffs, but it's not enough. He didn't build any sort of bench for this team. Like, how can you be the general manager? How can you look at this team that you have and think this is a championship contender with no bench? As I said many times, George Niang is not a playable playoff player. He's a guy who can hit threes. If he's not making three-point shots, he is totally useless. He can't defend. He can't rebound. He can't jump. He can't run. can't do anything. You look at the backup center situation. They have continued to ignore this. You have P.J. Tucker, but you need P.J. Tucker already playing another role. Like You need P.J. Tucker on the floor when Joel Embiid is on the floor. 
you have six guys, and at the deadline, you could have done something to improve this team. They bring in Jalen McDaniels. The guy is raw. He's a project. Like, he has the potential to be good down the line. He's not somebody who's helping you win a championship this year. Like, you didn't do anything at the deadline to improve your team. And I know you don't have a ton of assets. I know you don't have a ton of picks. You have picks down the line that you could have moved, though. You do. And if that means trading your first-round pick in 2029, you got to do it. Like, you look at what the Lakers did, and the Lakers are a poorly run organization. But Jared Vanderbilt, who was out there, one of the guys at the deadline who had been linked to the Sixers, Sixers had interest in, uh, Utah was traded. He gets traded to the Lakers, and he's significantly helped the Lakers over the last couple weeks. That's a guy who you potentially could have added to your rotation and, and could have helped when you need bodies. You need guys who you can put out there in the postseason. And Daryl Morey just elected not to do it and basically said, we're not good enough this year. We're going to kick the can next season, and we're not going to give up valuable assets. For what reason? Like, I, I just I don't understand how he believes this organization right now it has the luxury to look toward the future. You have an older James Harden in the final year of his deal. You have a Joel Embiid that I can guarantee you is going to grow more frustrated every single year that, you know, this thing doesn't get better and that they don't advance further. And whether it's this offseason or next offseason, eventually he's going to do what other superstars do and demand out. Like, I don't understand what Daryl Moore is waiting for. I don't understand how he configured this bench because, I mean, you have you have nobody. Like, I'm just looking at, at the lineup they have in there right now. Paul Reed, Jalen McDaniel, Shake Milton. Like, you don't have guys on the floor who you can count on and play in the playoffs. That's on Daryl Morey. He deserves much more blame for the situation the Sixers are in right now. And, uh, you know, I, I don't understand uh, how he's not getting criticized more for just not building a bench and basically saying at the trade deadline, all right, well, we're good. We'll, we'll, we'll look toward next year. No, I mean, this team doesn't have enough guys. They're not going to beat Boston or Milwaukee, and a lot of it's on the GM for just deciding that it wasn't worth it to trade picks down the line to improve this year. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. Um, But as for our main topic tonight, talking a lot about the Phillies and whether you believe it's more likely that they win the National League East or – miss the playoffs altogether. And I think when you look at this team, another real interesting part of this is, you know, you're going to need, obviously, production from a, a, a lot of different guys here. But you're going to need some of these young players to step up. And this is one thing that, you know, I think a lot of people are counting on. And one thing that I think was encouraging about the game today is you see Alec Bohm hit a two-run home run. Like, Alec Bohm's going to need to be a legitimate factor in the middle of this order now. Like, you are going to need to rely on him to really hit and to really produce for you. You're going to need that. You're going to need Bryson Stott. You're going to need Brandon Marsh. And I don't know how much you can count on these young players to just step up and 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 contribute in massive roles. What do you think, Francisco? Well, what's, I, your level, what's your opinion on that? No, well, I was going to say, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, but these guys were, I mean, Stott, Boehm, um, Marsh, I mean, you, you – 
He was originally, I'm pretty sure, a highly touted prospect. I mean, at some point, these guys got to, you know, uh, be productive offensively. I thought Marsh was when he came here um, for the small sample size. He was with the Phils, you know, the second half of last year. But at some point, these Bohm's got to hit more than 12 home runs. I'm sorry. Like, I know we all got on the soft side last year after, after the whole, you know, all the, the, the 13 errors he had against the Mets last year at third base. And all of a sudden, we were just totally more lenient t- towards Alec Bohm after that. I-, I get it, whatever the m- emotional connection. But Bohm's got to give you more than thirteen home runs. He's he, got to. He's got to. St- uh, cool singles are good, great. He hits uh, two eighty, but his on base percentage is like ten points higher than his batting average. So, what does that really matter? You know what I mean? So, like, at some point, he's got to give you more than he's got to give you a little power because he was expected to do that. Yeah, without Bryce Harper, I mean, he's a guy who's going to be hitting in the middle of your order. And I think when you look at this, this is another aspect to the Phillies here where, you know, there are a lot more questions than there are answers when you look at the bottom of that order because you're going to need production from the bottom of that order this year. Like, you're not just going to be able to rely on the guys at the top. It's not just going to be able to be, you know, Trey Turner and Hoskins and Schwarber and Rio Muto. You're going to need, you know, Brandon Marsh and Alec Bohm and and Bryson Stott to continue to step up. And I think Bryson Stott specifically is a guy who you can't just you can't just rely on his improvement to be linear. Like Bryson Stott showed a lot of um, encouraging signs toward the end of last year in terms of what he could be as a developing player and a developing offensive player. A uh, very patient approach at the plate sees the ball very well, is a guy that you hope you can count on moving forward. But, I mean, we saw it with Bohm in 2021 after he had that tremendous 2020 season where he's, you know, rookie of the year candidate. He took a step backward. Like, production's not always linear, and I don't think we always account for that kind of thing, especially when it comes to young hitters. Like, it's not a situation where you can just assume that Bryson Stott is going to be the guy he was the last two months last year. Now, if he is, that would obviously put this team in an, in, in an incredibly advantageous position and would certainly put them in a, in a good spot. But I don't think you can just rely on that being the case. 215-592-9494. Let's go to Steve in Downingtown. What's up, Steve? Hey, Tom. How are you? Good. How are you? Not bad. Can you hear me okay? I'm on the car phone. Yeah, I got you. All right, cool. Hey, so I got a couple questions, one on the Phillies or baseball in general and one on football in general. You know, you mentioned about 15 minutes ago that this this idea of having two infielders on both sides of the diamond, hitters need to adjust to that. And up until then, I was really kind of being a homer about it, the way I was thinking, like, you know, that's really going to help Bryce Harper. They can't shift on him anymore, so that's good, right? But then, you know, you brought up a good point that, Hitters need to adjust to that. So just making a point that you made a great point and actually changed my thinking on that. But here's my question, because I don't know exactly how this rule is worded. Uh-huh. When you've got a situation like ninth inning, bases loaded, two outs, and traditionally they'll bring in like a corner outfielder to play a fifth infielder, how does that factor into this new rule? I, I, don't, mean, be- I don't believe they're allowed to do that anymore, Steve. I think that's another situation where they're, where they're not allowed to, to make that kind of move. That kind of stinks because that's always been a part of baseball, and it always made it exciting that, you know, it's like three and two count, bottom of the ninth, two, inning, uh, two bases loaded, two outs. It, it was always an exciting part of the game when you bring in an outfielder to play infield, and, you know, 
too bad the guys do away with that. But, you know, you made a good point on the shift, and I get it. Yeah. But, yeah. Yes, Stephen. I, my, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, here's my NFL rules question for you. And, and I've never understood this, ever. So why is it so difficult to challenge any play? I don't care if it's roughing the passer or offsides or whatever. If your team has two challenges for the entire game or three if you get the first two correct, why does it matter what they challenge? Why couldn't they challenge any decision that a referee makes during a game? As long as you're limited to two or maybe three challenges for the game, it's not going to slow the game up, so why can't they challenge every call? Yes, Steve. No, and I appreciate the call, and I think it's a good point. It's actually, you know – interesting you bring that up because this is something that's being considered i don't think they like the idea of of reviewing subjective calls like you know when you look at the way the nfl does this year a lot of the calls that that are allowed to be challenged really all of them like they're pretty black and white they're pretty cut and dry now obviously we've had the argument a ton of times what is a catch what isn't a catch and and still sometimes it's hard to ascertain exactly what that is uh, the Devontae Smith play in the Super Bowl, uh, one that was was obviously contentious, but I don't. They don't allow you to challenge penalties. Now that might be changing because one of the things that they are looking at this year uh, at the owners' meetings, the combine starting uh, tomorrow, and and uh, we'll see what comes out of that. A lot of things usually happen at the combine because that's where you know everybody gets together and teams talk and 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 go through a lot of this stuff. But now they're talking about whether or not to allow challenges for roughing the passer calls particularly. Now, I don't think it's going to change in terms of pass interference. Remember, they tried it with pass interference a couple years ago, and it was a disaster. Like, you still couldn't really, you know, determine what pass interference was, and it was just a a mess when they allowed those challenges, so they took that away. But I like it in terms of the roughing the passer calls. Because some of these roughing the passer penalties that were called the last couple years have just been absurd, like just terribly bad, where it's like you're asking a defensive lineman to do something that's physically impossible. And I want to know, do you think they should allow challenges for roughing the passer calls? I absolutely think they should. And if you want to get in here, 215-592-9494, 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. But, yeah, I think when you look at at some of these calls where you're talking about a defensive lineman falling on a quarterback with his body weight, like, what do you want the guy to do? There's no chance that a defensive lineman can just stop his body from doing what it's naturally going to do. And I think that would be a good rule change. What do you think, Francisco? Do you think they should allow roughing the passers to be reviewed? But isn't that, like, just like, I guess, like the uh... – the past interference calls go, aren't they technically a little bit like subjective ref to ref, right? They are, but I think they, I think it's really to just cut out the egregious penalties because I don't like the idea of once it's called, like there's no recourse, like there's no way to look at it, no way to think, you know, this could be viewed differently. And there were some rough in the passer calls last year that were just so bad that I think the NFL's looking at it and they're like, okay, we need to fix this. Yeah, no, I. Th- so I, I guess, I guess in a way, definitely, because there, there were, there were plays. Or I'm, I'm just watching, you know, many games, you know, this past year where 
It's like, really, that's roughing the passer call? Really? Like, what, what, what are we supposed to do? It's not football anymore to to a certain extent. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, that's something that they are looking at, and I think it would be a good move. Now, in general, I don't love the idea of reviewing penalties, especially in football, because it is also subjective and it is so difficult. But with roughing the passer, penalties like that, uh, I think there are ones that, that it would benefit the game, and I hope the NFL does make that change. Uh, 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. Uh, do you think the Sixers can beat the Bucks or the Celtics in the playoffs? I don't, and that makes this season really difficult uh, as a fan, but I come out of watching that game Saturday night. I think the Sixers still have a lot of the same issues, a lot of the same problems that they've had in the past. Uh, I don't see them beating either of those two teams. So if you want to get in on that, you're welcome to. Also, our baseball question for the night. Do you believe the Phillies this season are more likely to win the NL East or miss the playoffs altogether? I think they're more likely to miss the playoffs. Uh, when you're factoring all these things in, you look at the fact they're an 87-win team last year. Yeah, the roster's good, but you're without Bryce Harper for half a season. That is significant. That is going to be difficult to overcome. I think it's more likely they don't make the playoffs than win the NL East. So if you want to get on that, you're welcome to. When we get back, we'll be joined by uh, the other TK, Tim Kelly, Phillies Nation. He joins us next uh, to talk about spring training. He's going to be down there in a few days. We will talk to Tim when we return. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Monday night until 10 o'clock. What is this? What is this music, Francisco? Excuse me? Come on, what, man. What is that? This is uh this is uh Kanye's first album, Never Let Me Down. Oh, okay. I didn't I didn't recognize that music. I uh, know you hate music. I forgot. Yeah, well, I don't I'm not a fan of, of Kanye, so uh, Right, but his old music is still great. Yeah, okay. Okay, well sounds good. Uh I'm sorry I asked. Two one five five nine two. 9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. Been talking about the Phillies a lot tonight. Obviously, spring training underway. A lot of storylines this spring training. A man who will be down there in a few days in Clearwater covering the Phillies. Editorial director, Phillies Nation. Uh, at Tim Kelly Sports is where you can find him on Twitter. Also, with our team here at Odyssey Sports. Uh, Tim Kelly joins us. What's up, Tim? What's going on, Tom? A few years ago, I would have been honored to come into that song. I'm not sure where where I stand now. It's probably not a very good thing. Yeah, well, we'll just we'll just move on and, and talk about uh, you know, so, some better things, some baseball things, Tim. And obviously, I'm sure you were dialed in all weekend uh, to the spring training games. Start off here. Just what were some of your some of your observations? You know, watching baseball back and and seeing the Phils back out on the field. Yeah, I mean, I think without a doubt, the pitch clock has been the the talk of everything so far, and. I've enjoyed it. I think maybe it could be a few seconds longer, but by and large, I do think games got to a point over the last five to ten years that were too long. I like that the pitch clock is in, and I like the banning of the shift. So I, I'm excited to see that. I think it's it's going to be an adjustment for everyone. There's no question. But uh, by the middle of the season, I, I think most people will have come to the conclusion that they liked it. Yeah, Tim, and and to me, like what was crazy was how noticeable it was. Just like at home watching the game, looking down at my phone, and I realize I'm missing like multiple batters at a time. 
I was surprised the noticeable impact it immediately had. Uh, do you think that this is something that could draw in, you know, younger fans and and more people to the game if you can decrease games from 305, 310 to, to 240? Well, I, I think that there's a, a possibility it does that. The other thing that it does is I think there's a lot of people, including people that love the sport, that do feel like the games have been too long. Like uh, over the last couple of seasons, I feel like if it was a game uh, three and a half hours, you felt like, all right, that was a, a relatively quick game. That that 20 years ago, that would have been the longest game of the season. It became like a, a regular thing over the past few seasons. So uh, I think it will even increase the enjoyment of some of the people that are watching no matter what. And that's kind of something that's been lost in this whole debate. Yeah, no, I, I'd agree with that, Tim, no doubt about it. And when you look at the team, obviously uh, a lot of optimism, a lot of expectations for this Phillies team, and a lot of that is due to the addition of Trey Turner. Uh, saw him a little bit over the weekend. I mean, look great. How big of an addition is that, and how big of an impact uh, do you think Trey Turner's going to have at the top of the lineup, especially with some of the rule changes? Yeah, it's absolutely huge. It'll be interesting to see how they kind of go about having him steal bases or not steal bases. I know he's wearing both the oven mitts on both hands now, so because uh, he's had issues in the past with, I think he broke his or injured his thumb. He uh, he jammed his thumb late in the season last year with the Dodgers. Uh, it's one of those things where I want to see stolen bases come back in baseball, but I also do understand why they went away in the sense that they weren't necessarily, uh, if you ran the numbers, like more often than not, it didn't end up being a great proposition. So with the increased base size, and uh, some of the rules about throwing over. I'm interested to see someone like him, how much does he push it, and how much does he push it because he's going to turn 30 in July, and when you're 22, it's a lot easier to steal bases than when you're 30, and it takes a lot out of you. So he's one of the 10 or 15 best players in baseball. It'll be exciting to see him play 145 or more games this season for the Phillies, Uh, and it's obviously it's huge. Like they, They could not have withstood... Uh, losing Bryce Harper for this amount of time, however long that ends up being, without having made an addition like Trey Turner. Yeah, and Tim, to me, that's that's the real big story this year, uh, is can the Phillies be able to weather the storm without Bryce? Because I think that's something that, as great as Bryce Harper is, I feel like it's something people are overlooking to a degree. Um, you know, how do you think they go about doing that? Do you think it's a lot of Derek Hall? Do you think it... it involves more of getting Nick Castellanos out of the outfield? And and do you think it's something the Phillies will be able to overcome in large part because of the addition of Turner? Well, I think the reason people are so confident is because they essentially did it last year. Like, if you had said before the season last year, Bryce Harper's going to only play 99 games and Gene Segura, who was one of your key pieces, is going to miss two months or whatever it ended up being, uh, you would have said, oh, they have no chance to make the playoffs, and they ended up going on a heater the second half of the really once Joe Girardi was replaced by Rob Thompson uh, right after Memorial Day. So that's one of the reasons I think people are confident heading into this year that you can withstand the Bryce Harper thing. Uh, Derek Hall, I would imagine, will get the bulk of the at-bats against right-handed pitchers. But in other instances, I think you're going to see Edmundo Sosa, whether he's at third base, whether he's at shortstop, second base, wherever, and maybe even center field. I think that the Phillies really like him, and his bat has played up since he came to the Phillies. He had a long home run today. So uh, for a team that maybe isn't doesn't have a ton of gold glove-type fielders, he's the best fielder on the team. 
you'll get his glove in, and maybe you'll get Alec Bohm out uh, and have him DH. Maybe you'll have Bohm shift to first and have Reese Hoskins DH, whatever the case ends up being. I think they're in pretty good position to uh, hold things over till Harper gets back. But obviously, Harper's the best player on your team, and I think the Phillies overestimated. It's just a guess of mine. Uh, when they say he's going to miss or he's going to be back around the all-star break, because then if he comes back in mid-June, it looks like a a miraculous recovery. So uh, the sooner you get him back, the better, obviously. Yeah, that's a a good point, Tim. Tim Kelly joining us now, editorial director for Phillies Nation. You can find him at Tim Kelly Sports on Twitter. And we'll get to some of the main guys in the lineup, Tim, but you mentioned Sosa there, and that's something that I think, you know, is, is maybe an underrated part of this team, but kind of the improved bench. What do you think about the way they filled out this roster and having guys like Sosa um, who who can step in and, and guys on that bench who you can kind of rely on? Yeah, I mean, you added Josh Harrison. You added Garrett Stubbs. This wasn't a, like there's not that many guys in camp this year as non-roster guys. That's usually one of the storylines of spring training is uh, a couple guys that are around for a while, guys like Neil Walker, uh, that have been uh, match choice guys that have been in camp with the last few years, and then ultimately, but the Phillies didn't have many chances to sign guys like that this year because there aren't many spots to compete for. So, it, what it's also done is given you the possibility of do you keep someone like Jake Cave that can play in the outfield as opposed to keeping Derek Hall as your left hand there? I'm not sure they're going to end up doing that, but uh, it's taken you from a point where you're like well no big deal Bryce Harper's out but Derek Hall feasted against right-handed pitchers so now you're deep enough that it's at least a discussion I think whether Derek Hall is on that opening day roster and in the lineup yeah and obviously Tim another guy who we're going to be keeping an eye on from uh, some of the main players in the lineup here Nick Castellanos who, who had a disappointing year last year how important is it for him to bounce back? And what do you think the chances of that are? Obviously, hit a home run yesterday, but uh, how optimistic should Phillies fans be about a Nick Castellanos bounce back? I, I would just say, look at what he's done throughout the course of his career. This is not someone that just went to Cincinnati. Like, the, there's lots of people that go to Great American Ballpark and play a season or two and have numbers that prove to be outliers in their career. But he played in Comerica Park, and he famously complained about it near the end of his time with the Tigers that he wasn't hitting enough home runs because it's such a big part. But uh, over the last seven or eight seasons, I think Freddie Freeman's the only one in baseball that's hit more doubles than him. So history tells you he's just not – he's a much better hitter than what he was a season ago. And based off of that, you think he should bounce back. Now, the Phillies signed him thinking he was going to be the DH more often than not. And for another season, that's not going to be the case. Even when Bryce Harper comes back, he's coming back as the DH uh, at least at the beginning. So I think with Castellanos, you're just going to have to know it is what it is in the outfield, but offensively is where you need the bounce back. Getting away after the season, I think being able to reset was probably a good thing for him, and it, it will be interesting early on. If he's able to bounce back and you add Bryce Harper back into the lineup, this is a team that went to the World Series last year, didn't have Trey Turner, and didn't have Nick Castellanos playing at a high level. I mean, it could maybe be the best lineup in baseball. Tim Kelly joining us now, editorial director, Phillies Nation. He'll be down in spring training in a couple days here. And, uh, Tim, another guy I wanted to ask you about in the lineup, Alec Bohm, hits a home run today. And with Bryce out, you'd imagine he's going to be a guy the Phillies are going to need more offensive production from and more power from. 
Um, you know, what do you expect from Bohm this year, and how encouraging was it to see the way he really came on uh, late in the season, in the postseason last year? Because in, in the playoffs, you really felt good about him, him every time he came to the plate. Yeah, you did. I, I would say a lot of the same things with Castellanos apply to Bohm. He's going to grade out as one of the worst defenders at third base, although he does have moments uh, of brilliance over there. But truth be told, he's probably better off being a DH or first baseman, but that's not an option this season. So you'll get what you get at third base. Offensively, though, I, I really feel like if it's going to happen, this is a year that he takes the step in terms of driving the ball more consistently. And nobody's suggesting he becomes a three-true-outcomes player where either walks, strikes out, or hits a home run. But, I mean, look at the swing today. This is a guy that should hit 25 to 30 home runs. That's not a stretch for him, and that's not at the expense of the ability to go the other way because that's what he did in the next at-bat. But, I mean, if you go over the average home run distance uh, since he's been in the league, almost every home run he's hit is 400-plus feet. This is someone with real power, and you've seen glimpses of it. If that can be unlocked consistently, and really, Nick Castellanos, what he was coming into Philadelphia last year is kind of a good blueprint for what you would want Alec Bohm to be, a doubles hitter that uh, hits home runs occasionally, too, because he drives the ball so well into the gap, some just carry out. But he primarily becomes a doubles hitter that goes gap to gap. If he's able to become that this year, and this is one of the reasons I look around a lot of teams every year convince themselves that everything's going to go perfectly, but I see things with the Phillies that could realistically go much better than they did a year ago in addition to some guys that did play well a year ago, and it, it makes you wonder if this could very well be a, a better regular season team than what you got last year. Yeah, and I mean, they're they're going to need that, and uh, we'll get to a couple pitching staff questions in a minute, but one more on the lineup, Tim, um, that I wanted to ask you about. A few of the young left-handed hitters, Brandon Marsh, Bryson Stott, obviously those were guys who gave kind of encouraging signs last year. Uh, Marsh's offense started to come around a little bit, and Bryson Stott, uh, tremendous approaches at the plate. Um, How much do you think this could really ascend that lineup to the next level if those guys are able to take uh, more steps forward at the bottom of the lineup? Yeah, I mean, it really builds on that previous point that I made. I think Boehm of that trio is clearly the one that has the highest upside offensively. But Bryson Stott, although the numbers on the back of the baseball card didn't look great at the end of the season, he had a lot of really good at-bats. He had a lot of clutch hits, clutch just periods where he worked the count even if he didn't end up on base. And he's someone that in the second half of the season was significantly better than the first half. Brandon Marsh, once he got to the Phillies, was better. And truth be told, Brandon Marsh is going to be your eight or nine hitter. Like If he plays really good defense and is just like an average major league hitter, that plays in this lineup, and those are the three that I kind of look at, and I know I'm not the only person who said this, that you have a really good lineup. It's guys like Bryce Harper when he comes back, Trey Turner, JT Real Muto, Reese Hoskins, like established major league hitters, Castellanos, if he bounces back. And then you have that trio with Bohm, Marsh, and Stott that realistically it, it, it's not like thinking too positively to believe that two of those guys could take major steps forward offensively. And, and where are you then if that comes to pass and you get Bryce Harper back uh, somewhere in the middle of the season? You're, you're, If you're not the best lineup, you're pretty close to it. Yeah, no no doubt about it. Now, I wanted to ask you a few uh, questions about, about the pitching staff here, Tim. And first off, the bullpen. We'll start there. 
Um, you know, I think one of the more interesting guys to watch this year is Jose Alvarado, who was tremendous last year, uh, kind of surprisingly so after going down to the minor leagues. Um, how confident should Phillies fans be in him being able to replicate what he did last year uh, versus the concern of him kind of reverting back to what he was previous? Well, what I would say is that it wasn't as simple as just he went to the minors and that fixed his control and he came back. Like, he started throwing another pitch more consistently that he was able to locate, and that was his problem. Everybody knew he had world-class, legitimately, like, he has the stuff to be the best reliever in baseball. It was a matter of throwing the ball over the plate, and I I think a lot of people, myself included, weren't sure he was ever going to do that enough, but then they pivoted to this cutter, and it's a credit to Caleb Cotham and everyone involved in the process that they found out the, they found a pitch that he can consistently locate. And the rest of the pitches, if he just gets them anywhere near the strike zone, he throws so hard and is so he really is an intimidating pitcher to go uh, to get into the batter's box against for a variety of reasons. He's huge. Sometimes you don't know where the ball is going. There's a million different things going on with him. Uh, I guess you worry a little bit that the workload from last year with both him and Sir Anthony Dominguez uh, maybe catches up to them. But I, I don't anticipate we're going to see a revert to the old Jose Alvarado that just couldn't throw strikes. Uh, another interesting addition in the bullpen, uh, Craig Kimbrell, veteran, been around a while, had a good outing um, in his uh, relief uh, outing on Monday against the Pirates. What can you expect from him, Tim, and what role do you think he's going to play in this bullpen? Yeah, the Phillies, as they didn't, they didn't have a quote-unquote closer last year, and they went to the World Series. So Rob Thompson, at least going into the season, is going to have that same mindset. But this, regardless of what he does with the Phillies and moving forward, Craig Kimbrell is a borderline Hall of Fame closer. He's been that good. And I would think if push comes to shove on opening day, whether it's Nola or Wheeler, they go six, seven innings, you bring in Alvarado, you bring in Sir Anthony, and then I think if it's a safe situation in the ninth inning, the guy that gets that right of first refusal is going to be Craig Kimbrell. And I'm interested to see because, like I said, he's like another all-star year or two away from making himself a surefire Hall of Famer. I think he's seventh all-time in saves, and he has a chance to move up that list. So it's a really interesting guy to bring in, and it is a case of there's no such thing as a bad one-year deal because he's not that far removed from having been an all-star with the Cubs a couple of years ago. So it's worth the shot, in my opinion. And the Phillies were so reliant in the playoffs last year on Alvarado and Sir Anthony. Sir Anthony has an injury history. You were bringing Ranger Suarez into the bullpen, even though he was scheduled to start games. They've added significant bullpen depth this offseason, and – I think that that makes them better equipped to compete both in the regular season and the postseason. Tim Kelly joining us now, editorial director, Phillies Nation. Just uh, two more for you, Tim. First off, um, Andrew Painter making his debut tomorrow. What do you think the chances are that, that Painter earns a, a job in this rotation? Do you think that would be wise of the Phillies uh, to have him with the club to start the year? I might have to take a rain check on answering okay. the second question because I legitimately don't know until we see him. Make it make a few uh, appearances. Look, it, the Phillies haven't shied away though from promoting the possibility of him being on the opening day roster. So I would say, uh, if he looks the part, he'll probably be that number five guy. If not, though, he's not going to turn twenty until mid-April. Like people talk about, Dave Dombrowski had a history of bringing Justin Verlander 
bringing Josh Beckett up early, even they were a year or two older than what Painter is right now. So if he has to go back to AAA, where I don't believe he's ever pitched to start the season, and Bailey Falters, your number five starter, was very effective in the second half of the season last year, I don't think that that's the, the worst thing in the world. Fair enough. And just one more for you, Tim. Uh, my big question of the night. Uh, if you had to choose, what do you think is more likely? Phillies win the NL East or they miss the playoffs this year? Oh, that's uh, like I, I've been very positive, I think, in this <laughs> call. And in general, on my outlook of the Phillies, I think they're like a 90 win team. But I think the Mets and Braves are like 95 to 100 win teams. And. That's already two teams. I think the the NL West is going to produce two playoff teams in the Giants and the Padres, and obviously the NL Central gets a playoff team regardless. So, uh, yeah, is there a scenario where the Phillies win like 87 or 88 games and are the first team out of the playoffs? Yeah, I I could see that, and I would say right now that's probably a more likely scenario than the Phillies winning the NL East because I think that'll take like 97 wins, and without Bryce Harper that's going to be difficult. But – I don't think either one of those scenarios is going to be one unfolded. I would guess they'll be the second or third wild card team. Well, that's Tim Kelly, editorial director of Phillies Days. You can find him on Twitter at Tim Kelly Sports. And Tim, uh, tell everybody what they can be expecting. I'm sure you'll have a lot of coverage uh, from down in Clearwater this weekend, correct? Yeah. I mean, we obviously, we mentioned Jose Alvarado. I'm hoping to catch up with him and do a story because he uh, had the breakout season. He's gonna. He just got a new contract. He's gonna be in the World Baseball Classic. There's a lot of uh, exciting things, and he's a pretty open and honest guy, in my experience. So, hoping to talk to him. And then, obviously, Andrew Painter continues to be the story of camp and the, the pitch clock as well. Yeah. Well, a lot of stuff. No shortage of things to talk about. No doubt about that. Tim, thanks for hopping on, man. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, Tom. Yep. Take it easy. That's Tim Kelly, uh, Phillies Nation. Uh, joining us, and he'll be headed down to Clearwater in a couple days to cover the team. That's something I I need to do at some point in my life is go to spring training. I still haven't been there. You you still haven't been there either. Yeah, let's go together. Did we talk about this before? No. Uh, no. Well, we talked about going to see Reese Hoskins on the first baseline, right? That was a couple weeks ago. Oh God, I'm not. No, no. You, I, I, you, I'm just you. You hold on. You, you asked the question. Dri- I'm not. No, no, no. I'll, I'll I'll divert it back from that. We can go to Clearwater together. How about that? Okay, that's fair enough. Yeah, we don't have to sit first base side. We can if you want. Um, but I want to go to Clearwater. Yeah, my my brother in law is going down this weekend, and he asked me to go, which is not. I I can't really. Why not? Can't get out. Oh, because you got a kid. Because I have two kids. That's right, the problem. Too. So well, my son's second birthday is on Thursday, so that 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 will be a nice affair. We're having a nice little party for him this weekend. Um. And we were talking about this before the show. My daughter uh, today is three months since she's been born. I can't I can't stand people who do the the month birthdays and the monthly updates on social media about their kid. Like your your kid doesn't have a three month birthday. Okay, they have a birthday the the day they were born. You know, people who celebrate month birthdays or half year birthdays. Get out of here with that. This isn't a social media gripe. This is just like a. I was going to say, this isn't even a social media. This is like a, a mega gripe. Well, we were talking before the show, and I told you that my son was turning two, and you thought you thought it was the kid I had a few months ago. Well, yeah, I asked you. I was like, my how's wife the kid doing? Like, no disrespect to your older kid, but, right. you know, you just had this the, the newborn three months ago. So, yeah, that's who I was asking about. Right. And you said, oh, well, he turns two today. I'm like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah. That, what? that doesn't make sense. Time would have flown by yeah. pretty quickly. 
But I can't, like, man, time, I will say this, though. Time moves a lot slower once you have kids, at least in my opinion. Is like, that a good thing or a bad thing? It, it, I mean, it's a good thing it, it, and a bad thing. Like, I feel like I feel like I've had, I feel like my son's five years old, honestly. I mean, he's a bit of a handful. He just doesn't stop moving. He just, he's kind of, he just runs around nonstop. And causes havoc and mayhem, but I feel like he's a lot older than two years old. Should I have kids? Yeah. Should you have kids? I would recommend it. It's certainly fulfilling. It's a lot of work though, especially when you have two under two. Uh, a lot to uh, a lot to keep an eye on, but it's okay. it's it's in in the end, it's very fulfilling. So okay, yeah, I don't, I don't know if uh, you know, I've got I'm going back and forth through the years, TK, in my. Um, but I'm not worried about it yet. Don't 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 have kids in your 20s. Just you know, I'm I'm 35. I didn't have my first kid till I was 33, 34. You yeah, can, that's you can, about right. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's nothing wrong with that. Good, good job. Good, good job. Age. TK. Enjoy your 20s though. Okay, uh, that's what I'll oh, say. Well, thank you. Uh, 215-592-9494 If you want to get in, two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Resetting some of the things we're talking about tonight. Philly's more likely to win the NL East or uh, miss the playoffs altogether. I think it's miss the playoffs. Not that. You know, I don't think this is a good team, but I think the Braves and the Mets are likely better. Um, and, you know, it, it, this was an 87-win team last year. This wasn't a world-beating team. We remember the postseason, but the regular season was very up and down for this Phillies team. So if you want to get on that, you're welcome to. Also, uh, do you feel like the Sixers can beat the Bucks or the Celtics in the playoffs? I don't. I think we're just kind of on a march to the same eventual outcome um, and that Boston game on Saturday night really solidified that for me. So if you want to get on that, also the pitch clock and what are great rules um, that have been added to sports. I think the pitch clock could be one of the best ever. So uh, all those things on the table. Let's go to uh, Casey in the Poconos. What's up, Casey? Hey, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm all right, man. First, uh, before my point, I, I couldn't agree. I couldn't disagree with you more. I think that I think once you have kids, the time just flies by. Like I didn't have kids till I was 35. So I have two boys. They're uh, 11 and uh, nine right now. And it seems like Christmas comes every four weeks. Well, yeah. I mean, well, Casey, I I think that's the way it's going to start to go. But did it feel differently to you at all when they were like really young? When they were really young, it's different because you're, you're, you're awake so much. Right. You know what I mean? Like you're you're up. You have to do the feeding. You're doing the switching with the wife. She's asleep. You, you, she has to work. You're getting up. So so like you're you're busier. You don't really you don't really pay attention to what's going on. But it seems like right now is like you disperse of a Christmas tree, and by the time it gets brown, it's Christmas again. Yeah, it's, there is it's a, amazing. Yeah, it's weird, Casey. Like, yeah. in some instances, I feel things move faster, but some instances they move slower. It's very odd. Well, okay. Well, I mean, that's a good point. I um, I didn't want to really talk about the Phillies, but I will. I I honestly don't feel. I, with your question, are they going to win the NL East or are they going to miss the playoffs? I'd have to say they're going to miss the playoffs just because Bryce is out for an extended amount of time. Um. And the rotation on the Mets, I mean, they won 102, 102 or 104 games last year. I, I just don't I, – I don't see – I don't even see the, Brave, the Braves catching them, to be honest with you. But what I wanted to call was – I wanted to call just with a generalized question. It's something that's bothered me my entire life as a football fan. And it hasn't really come into play um, 
in in a in a huge game. I've seen it come into play in different games, but I don't like the fact that a field goal kicker can kick the ball over the goalpost. And then it turns into a 58-year-old guy on the right flank of the of the field goal post where it goes directly over and he says it's in or it's out. They shouldn't be able to kick over because if it goes directly over it's not good because if it goes directly in if it goes directly over but the goal post is extended right. it's going to hit it and it's going to doink out in double doink triple doink whatever it should never come down to because that's an unchallenge I'm sure that's unchallengeable yeah. so imagine your team trying to get to the super bowl they're down by 2 they go for a game winning kick it goes over the goal post over the left goalpost but that guy on the uh, gets it wrong yeah that's an interesting one casey i appreciate the call it's one i haven't really thought i mean it's it's just so rare like it's just so rare that a ball will go above directly over the goalpost i mean i guess you do see it happen i feel like typically they get it they get it right when it happens but it's very rare right tk i've been watching i'm 28 years old i've been watching football since i was about eight or nine seen it happen like one time probably yeah, you know, I've seen a decent amount of football games. I think I've seen it happen like a few more times than that, but it's not, it's not something I ever thought of. So yeah, I mean, you know. you're like you're you're a couple years older than me, so you know you factor in a few more games. So it's, it's it's the same. Yeah, it's an interesting uh interesting one. Not not one that I had thought of. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. If you want to get in, Daniel, Bill, we'll get you guys when we get back. Also, um, need to bring something up about. Couple Eagles players, some of their social media activity that I have not liked in the past couple days, and an NFL star uh, possibly available via trade. Should the Eagles consider it? We'll get to that coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Monday night until 10 o'clock. If you want to get in, 215 592 is how you join the show. Um, just just still getting annoyed by the Sixers as they're losing right now to the Heat. And, you know, one of the things that bothered me just when I look at this roster is, remember Daniel House plays on this team? Daniel House, who basically, you know, the Sixers only signed because James Harden's friend. Like, and that's why when I look at this at this team and the predicament they're in, I put the majority of the blame on Daryl Morey. Like, like, that's who really deserves it. Because Daryl Morey was supposed to be a difference-making general manager. He was supposed to be a guy who was going to come in and, you know, think along the margins, if you will, and and win along the margins and think in a way that's going to give this team advantages, and he just hasn't. And again, like, you just have this team with so many just useless players on this team. Just guys who, who aren't playable in big moments, guys who aren't playable in the playoffs, and what we 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 wasted a roster spot and wasted valuable cap space because you wanted to bring in James Harden's buddy. It's just ridiculous. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. If you want to get in, uh, let's go back to the phones. Daniel and Potsdam. What's up, Daniel? Hey, what's up, TK? How you doing? Good, man. How are you? I, I I'm terrible, man. I, I I the Sixers are they're just so I don't even know where to go with these guys. They're so backwards. I've never seen anything like it. It's I mean, it, it's unbelievable, Daniel, and it's just like it, it just feels as a fan 
it's such a helpless feeling, just feeling like there's nothing that's gonna that's gonna get yeah. better and improve. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm like, I'm such a diehard Sixers fan. I'm, I got to be honest with you, I had more fun watching them when they won 18 games. This team is terrible to watch. I, yeah, I mean, I'd say this: like the last few regular seasons, I've I, I've been in on watching them every night and excited to watch them even during the pandemic year. But this year, it's just not fun anymore. Like it's just it's not, not fun watching this team. It's not. I mean, think about it, like. In a car-driven league, we drafted three centers in a row. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any logical sense. Yeah, and of all those guys, only one could play. <laughs> like, yeah. It's amazing. I mean, and, and then, like, last year, um, the Celtics added Brogdon, a scorer, with a bunch of other scorers. We added another defensive guy, and that's all he does? It, it doesn't make any sense. No, it, it's it's amazing, Daniel. And even though, like, Darryl Morey has done some good things since coming here, like, last year, I mean, I don't know if he could have done this, but instead of Thibel in that deal was was a terrible decision. Like They felt like they need to hold on to Thibel. That was a huge mistake. And it's just like the way he's gone about building this team, I just don't understand. Yeah, it's so many one-dimensional players. and then, But see, my thing is, these guys like, might be able to shoot a three or this guy just plays defense, but none of them can do it when it matters. Right. Like, like they, they have a bunch of guys that are shooting above the NBA average in three-pointers. But, but those averages are like you'll be two for two in the first half and then one for three or one for four in the second half. That that doesn't help. No, no, I agree with you, Daniel, and I appreciate your call, man. Thanks. And, I, you know, I think that's where a lot of people's frustration comes from with this team is you just have a bunch of players who you don't feel like you can count on when it matters, like outside of Embiid. Because I do think Embiid, as frustrated as I get sometimes – by where his priorities are, like I said last week, I did not like at all the fact that Joel Embiid played in the All-Star game. I thought it was ridiculous. I thought it was just immature. Like, you shouldn't be playing. If you have a foot injury, and this is something that, as he claimed, has been bothering him all year, then you just shouldn't be playing in the All-Star game. Like, Giannis sat out. Giannis decided it wasn't, you know, uh, in his best interest to play. That's what Joel Embiid should have done. Like, you, you should not have played in that game. That was frustrating to me. You know, we've seen last year in the playoffs, things aren't going his way, doesn't get voted MVP, kind of goes in the tank a little bit. Like, these are the kind of things that you can't have happened. That being said, Joel Embiid is, is the last thing to complain about with this team. You just aren't good. They're just not good enough in any way. Like, in no way is this team good enough. James Harden, you know, is going to let you down in big moments. Tyrese Maxey's going backwards. Now, I still have hopes for him in the future. Do I think where he's right now that he can be like the third scorer on a championship team? I would doubt it. And then other than that, you, you got no bench. And and it's just it's a difficult thing to reconcile when we've been here for five years and we've seen so many different iterations of this team, yet it all ends the same way. And it feels like it's just destined to end the same way this year. Unless there's some sort of injury, which you never root for, to Giannis or Jason Tatum, like the Sixers just aren't beating those teams, that means another second-round exit, and it's very disappointing uh, to think in those terms. 215-592-9494. Let's go to Bill in Nashville. What's up, Bill? Hey, what's up, guys? How you doing, man? Good. Going back to what you were talking about, about roughing the quarterback, if you go back and look at the play where – Hurts gets hurt. 
that that guy lands all his weight on him. He pulls his arms and legs up so he can drive him into the ground. Instead, he could have very easily put his hands on the ground and took some of the weight off. But if you watch it, he actually deliberately puts dead weight on him. I'm surprised we haven't talked about this since then. The game in Chicago, Bill? Is that where he got his shoulder hurt? Yeah. I don't know if it makes a difference if he was a, uh, a runner or a quarterback at the moment, but that guy drives him into the ground. Well, that's he's the thing. Cool. It does It does make a difference, Bill. Like, if, he, if he's in the pocket, that could be ru- called roughing the passer. That wasn't the situation on that play. Jalen Hurts was, was running on that play. Oh, sorry. That makes a little difference. But I think they're trying to protect the quarterbacks. They should, they should have called that also. Yeah. No, I, I hear you, Bill, and I appreciate the call. And, yeah, I mean – there, and there are going to be instances in which a quarterback gets driven into the ground, and sometimes it's the right call. But I'm talking about, and if you weren't listening earlier, we were discussing the fact that the NFL is reevaluating whether they should allow rough, roughing the passer calls to be challenged. And I think they should, because I just think in a lot of instances, you know, you have these calls where defenders are just put in an impossible position. Like there's nothing that they can do from you know, uh, falling on a quarterback. Like, you're not in complete control. You're not always going to be able um, to to prevent that from happening. And I think especially this year, there were just massive calls that were completely changing games. Uh, and I think that's something the NFL should consider in terms of, of changing uh, of changing the rough in the pass rules and at least allowing teams to have recourse, allowing teams the ability to challenge. So if you want to get on that, you're welcome to. And, and our side topic tonight that uh, we introduced earlier, off the pitch clock, what is a great rule change that you've seen in sports? Because to me, the pitch clock, I think, is going to change the way we watch baseball. Like, I just think it's going to be so much easier to watch. Even one spring training game this weekend, I, I thought it was just extremely noticeable how much quicker the game moved and 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 how much more action there was. It wasn't all this downtime. I think it's a great rule change. Uh, what are great rule changes in sports uh, that have, have kind of changed the way we've watched them? 215-592-9494. Do you have any, any rule changes, Francisco, that you've been thinking of? I'm glad you asked, EK. Uh, so I'm going to go back. I don't know when they made this change. I don't know if it was 1942, 1962, whenever it was. And I understand there were less teams back then. I thought it was the dumbest thing in baseball that Whoever won the National League, right? Whoever the best record automatically went to the World Series. And on the other side, whoever had the best record in the American League went to the World Series. That would be that would be great because you know what? If it was like that for the NBA a couple of years ago, the Sixers would have been in the finals. They never would have had to worry about getting past the second round because they would have already been there. So that was you know, uh, I like I said, I get that there were like however many teams there were like ten to fifteen teams. Nah, man, there's got to be some type of playoff. So yeah. I think it's dumb that there's there's any type of like what are they doing in the XFL right now? There's got to be a playoff, right? The I, XFL, there's like eight teams, but I'm sure they have some type of playoff. I don't give a damn what they do in the XFL. I'm just saying, I'm just trying to make no, comparison. No, I no, I know, but I was just I, I think I was arguing. You were producing, I think I was arguing with this with Trev a couple weeks ago in terms mm-hmm. of like Trev thinks the XFL is going to gain traction. None of these leagues. Uh, are he always, Trev always tries to argue. None uh, of these leagues are going to gain leagues. traction. I mean. No. And has anybody watched the XFL? Does anybody really pay attention to this? I just think it's it's idiotic. I don't. I, I haven't watched a bit. And didn't didn't the XFL come back like two years ago? And then it was out like a year later. Yeah. And then the USFL was in, and I think they're both in now. But I don't watch either of them personally. Yeah, I don't. I don't care. 
Uh, 215-592-9494. Let's go to Diane uh, in Center City. Hey, Diane. Hi, Tommy. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Listen, since uh, time is uh, the subject, I was thinking of, number one, the pitchcock. We'll see what happens as far as that's concerned. But with you, I was uh, thinking about how you were saying that time is going so slowly. And I have a feeling it might be because you want Tommy to be older than he is. So he'll calm down. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe a little you bit. want him to be five. Maybe a little bit, Diane. I just, you know, if, if it's felt like I've had a kid for a while, but, it, you know, sure. only two years. Yeah, well, the time goes by fast because I have his little birthday on my calendar, and I was thinking, geez, Tommy's going to be two already. But here's and here's one for me. My oldest daughter had a birthday in October, and she was 50. And I was thinking, how can she be 50? I'm not 50. But the time goes by really fast, and you'll see that just like our other caller said, too. You know, that Christmas goes, you know, really fast, and before you know it, it's Christmas again, and you know, before you know it, uh, Tommy's going to be grown up and uh, cherish these times, even if he is uh, wild and willy down there. Yeah, no, and I appreciate it, Diane, and thank you for the call, as always. But, yeah, I mean, it's 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 one of those things just – it just I just feel like I've had a kid for longer than two years. And I think maybe part of it plays into the pandemic. Like, he was born, you know, when we were still being cautious and everything like that, you know, toward the early part of, 2000, of, of 2021 – um, and yeah, but I think maybe just when you have two kids under two, uh, it does seem to move a little slower. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. If you want to get in, two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Back to the phones in one second here, but I, I did want to uh, bring up uh, another issue that I've seen on social media, and I don't necessarily like. Now, I want to throw this out to the audience because I could be totally wrong on this, um, and I don't even think. It's coming from a bad place with the players. But um, over the last couple days, we've seen a couple guys here. Darius Slay and C.J. Gardner-Johnson both come out on social media and publicly voice support uh, for their defensive backs coach, Denard Wilson, to be hired as defensive coordinator for the Eagles. Now, I understand why, you know, players on this team and players under this defense and under that coach would want their coach to to get the job. I fully understand that. But I don't like them coming out publicly and kind of getting involved. Like, the Eagles are going through their due diligence to get the best defensive coordinator in here. Obviously, Jonathan Gannon leaves. He goes to Arizona. You got to replace him. Eagles looking at a number of candidates. I don't know. I don't like players coming out and, you know, giving their take on who they think the defensive coordinator should be. If you want to go behind closed doors and, you know, give your input to the front office, give your input to Howie Roseman, Nick Sirianni, on Denard Wilson and the fact that you think he's a damn good coach and you think he'd be a good defensive coordinator, I'm fine with that. But I don't like coming out and putting on social media for everyone to see, you know, the fact that you want a certain guy hired. And if you want to get in, 215-592-9494, Am I wrong about this? Is this harmless? Is this just a couple guys coming out and harmlessly advocating for your for their coach? And from all accounts, Denard Wilson is a very good coach and is a legit candidate for this job. But I think you let the organization do what they're doing. Like, you let them make the best decision for the team. They're interviewing candidates. They're interviewing guys internally and externally. They're trying to find the best guy. I don't like coming out and putting, 
you know, the organization in a position where, you know, they know players are advocating for a certain guy. Like, I think you can do it behind closed doors, but I just don't like them coming out publicly. 215-592-9494. What do you think, Francisco? Am I wrong about this? Is this, you know, is this harmless? Uh, or or, am I, or do you think I'm on to something that, that this is something they shouldn't be doing on Twitter? Yeah, it's so they didn't, like, I mean, basically they said, you know, uh, looking at Slay's tweet, he basically said, like, you know, Denar Wilson should be uh, the D coordinator. I, I don't love it. I mean, I guess I guess Slay is just a fact. I mean, I, I'm sure he has a good relationship with Denar Wilson. That probably factors into it. Um, I, I don't, as an Eagles fan, I, I don't like it. I think it's, I think you, you should probably re- refrain from doing that because I'm sure someone in the front office sees that and it's like, eh, I don't, I don't really like that. So I'm, I'm not a big fan of it. Um, yeah, I would, I would, if I'm Howie or from Jeffrey Larry, I'm probably talking to Slay, Marcus Steps, um, Gardner Johnson, saying, you know, what are you doing? Yeah, that, that's that, that's my take on it. It's just, you know, I don't think you should be out, you know, publicly commenting on the organization's coaching search. I get why you want the guy to get the job. You know, I get that you like him. I get he's your coach, and I have no problem with them giving their input behind closed doors. I just don't like it publicly, but I'd love to get your take on it. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Let's go back to the phones. Go to Keanu. What's up, Keanu? Hey, what's up? How are you guys doing tonight? Good, man. How are you? I'm good. Um, yeah, I just – I turned on the radio. I heard you guys talking about the roughing the passer. And, uh, man, like I'm I'm 29. I've been watching football since I was 12. And uh, I just got to say, roughing the passer and holding calls, uh, a lot of the ones that are called are basic football moves. And me and my buddy were having a conversation the other day that the one called at the end of the Super Bowl a few weeks ago, you could – that type of call could almost be called on – I'd say probably 75% of pass plays. And I, I feel like a lot of times when the roughing the passer calls have been called in the last many years, it's just been a lot of basic football moves. And, um, you know, it's it, honestly, it's, it's taken away from the game in just such a massive way. It just makes me depressed. Yeah. No, I get, I get Keanu them trying to protect quarterbacks and I'm all for that. But I mean, some of these roughing the passer calls this year, were just, we're, we're just egregious. I mean, there's not, anything the defender can do in a lot of these situations. And I think with those, you know, you should have some sort of, of, of recourse to be able to challenge it. Right. And I, I, honestly, like there, there comes a point where look, I get player safety is big. No one wants concussions. No one wants the players to have CTE. You know, it's a, it's a very sad situation, but at the same time, when people sign up to play football, when people sign up to go into the UFC or do boxing or any of these very dangerous sports, they know that there's, they're potentially sacrificing their health for money, for fame, for connections, for everything that comes, you know, with being a pro athlete. And no, no one's forcing them to do it, you know. And uh, I, people have known for – we've known for at least over a decade now that football causes CTE. But still, there's new rookies coming into the league, new rookie quarterbacks. You know, no one's forcing them to come in. And like I said, I'm not saying we can protect them, but at what point do you strip the sport down? To where it's no longer even football. Yeah, no, I hear you, Keanu. I appreciate the call. I, I, I think there's a middle ground there. Like, I don't think it needs to be so cut and dry, and I don't think it is. I like, I, I do think there should be protections involved for players, and you, you got to make it as safe as possible. That's non-negotiable. That's just what you need to do 
as you know, a, a, an, an entity in the NFL, but I really do think there is an aspect of this where, where you know, some of the roughing the passer calls have just gotten out of control. Like, there were some that were game-changing calls that were just, I don't know what you want the defender to do. Now, I'm not saying that you don't, you know, prioritize health. I think that needs to be a, a major priority. And I think the NFL has done a better job, honestly, in trying to protect players. But at least making the plays reviewable, at least making them challengeable, I think that's something that uh, that should be allowed. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Let's go to Ed in Drexel Hill. What's up, Ed? Hey, TK. I'm really curious how you think about uh, the recourse on uh, the the roughing the passer call uh, with the head referee ultimately being the one throwing the flag. Just really curious, kind of how you think that would ultimately be in- implemented. What What do you mean, Ed? Uh, particular, like uh, specifically with that. Uh, I'm, I'm just thinking, like, if if you're going to review that call, the head ref is the one that ultimately threw it, right? And he's going to be end up end up reviewing that. Well, well, reviewing the call that he just made, right? But the thing is, like, even if he's the one throwing the flag, the people who are reviewing it and making the decision is the NFL's replay center. Like, the ref isn't the one deciding it ultimately. Like, for any of those uh, okay. reviews that we see, like the the replay center is who's deciding it. The ref's just basically, you know, the middleman yeah. announcing. Yeah. Okay. All right, fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, man. And I appreciate calling. Yeah, so I, I think that's that's how you go about it, and I think it's it's probably uh, the best way to go about it. But I'll throw that out to the audience as well. Uh, do you think that roughing the passer in the NFL should be reviewed? I think it should be. I don't think you go through and you review every kind of penalty, but roughing the passer's gotten to a point where it affected games this year. You're putting defenders in an impossible situation. There needs to be some level of recourse. Uh, where they can at least look it over again. 215-592-9494, 215-592-9494 if you want to get on that. Also, the Phillies, do you think they are more likely to win the NL East or miss the playoffs altogether this year? I think miss the playoffs altogether. Not that I'm you know pessimistic on this team. I think this team is going to be very good. But ultimately, I think that's the more likely outcome considering the division, considering the rest of the National League, and the fact this team, as great as they were in the playoffs, they only won 87 games last year. You know, this was not a world-beating team. I think we tend to forget that. 215-592-9494. Steve, Tom, will get both you guys first when we get back. Also, I do need to bring up the players possibly available in a trade, whether the Eagles should be interested in that. We'll get to that as well. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Monday night until 10 o'clock. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494. Tomorrow night I'll be with you at 10 o'clock, working from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. tomorrow night, so I'll talk to you then. But obviously still an hour to go tonight uh, and talking a lot about the Phillies tonight. And, you know, with spring training underway, about a month away from the season actually getting underway, what is the more likely outcome, that the Phillies win the NL East or miss the playoffs altogether? And if you want to get in, 215-592-9494, 215-592-9494. Um, I, I think it's a tough question to answer. I, I think when you look at this team, there's obviously a lot of optimism. Understandably so. Trey Turner is going to be phenomenal. That, 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 my big takeaway from watching the Phillies this weekend, 
And I think it's kind of ridiculous to do any sort of, you know, extrapolations based on two spring training games. But the one thing I can say definitively, Trey Turner is going to be great. Like, that guy is everything that, you know, the Phillies thought he was going to be and more. He's going to be great at the top of the lineup, going to be great defensively, tremendous signing. You know, there are a lot of things to feel good about on paper. This team, from a bullpen perspective, should theoretically be better if Sir Anthony Dominguez and if Jose Alvarado can replicate what they did last season. You add Gregory Soto, you add Craig Kimbrell, you would hope that Connor Brogdon takes another step forward. This team should be very good in the bullpen. If Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler can be what they were last year, if Ranger Suarez can be what he was last year, then your starting rotation should be one of the better ones in baseball. If Nick Castellanos can recapture his 2021 form, yeah, this is going to be a really good lineup. But as you just heard right there, man, it's a lot of ifs. A lot of ifs with this team. Like, if these guys can kind of continue to take steps forward, if Alec Bowman and Bryson Stott and Brandon Marsh can step up and, and take another step forward, yeah, they're going to be able to score a lot of runs. But there's a lot of uncertainty. A lot of uncertainty with this team. And I think when you look at it and look at, is it more likely they brush past both the Mets and the Braves? Both teams won 14 more games than the Phillies did last year or missed the playoffs, which they made by one game. I just think it's far more likely they miss it. So if you want to get on that, you're welcome to 215-592-9494. Talking about the Sixers. Sixers currently down nine to the Heat with six minutes left. We'll uh, do a little post uh, Sixers process post game when that game concludes uh, in about a half hour or so, you're welcome to. And also talking about the Eagles, and I, I, I asked the question, do you dislike Darius Slay and C.J. Gardner-Johnson weighing in on the defensive coordinator situation on social media? I don't like it. I don't think that is a very productive thing to do. I'm fine with them behind closed doors, you know, going, talking to Howie Roseman, uh, giving their input. Don't like it on social media. Let the organization do what they're doing. Let them go through their process and hire the best candidate. I get why they'd want their coach to be the guy, but I don't think it's productive to go out and, you know, weigh in on social media when they're going through a search. 215-592-9494. Get back to the phones in one second here. But I did want to just bring uh, this this thing up in regards to the NFL and the Eagles because – uh, news came out over the weekend that the Rams are shopping Jalen Ramsey, uh, one of the best corners in the NFL, and a guy that, what, three years ago, I believe, three, four years ago, the Eagles had a level of interest in. When he was getting traded from Jacksonville, the Rams ended up landing him, and Jalen Ramsey ends up being um, a critical piece on a Rams team that ended up winning a Super Bowl. And I saw the idea being floated out there on Monday should the Eagles consider giving up the number 10 overall pick for Jalen Ramsey? They're go- likely going to lose James Bradbury in free agency. Would you go out and try to trade for a guy like Jalen Ramsey? And I just think that's a terrible idea. Like, I I think that would be an awful idea. I don't think it's something the Eagles would do. But I'll throw it out there. Do you think the Eagles should consider trading the number 10 pick for Jalen Ramsey with the money he's making? Talk last week. I'm interested to hear how 
Sirianni. They'll speak at the Combine tomorrow. But how we talked a couple weeks ago about we got to draft for the long term, and that's something that we learned from, you know, what happened five years ago. I mean, this it's just a ridiculous idea uh, as far as trade for Jalen Ramsey. You might as well just re-sign James Bradbury. Like, it doesn't make any sense uh, to trade for a guy like that. Uh, but I've heard a lot of people who are on board with it because of the player Jalen Ramsey is, I think it would be a mistake. I don't think the Eagles should consider it for a second, and thankfully I don't think they will. 215-592-9494 if you want to join the show. Let's go back to the phones. Go to Steve in Glassboro. What's up, Steve? Yo, what's up, brother? How are you? Good. How are you? So, a couple quick points, right? Uh, on your Phillies thing real quick, I, I do not think they're going to see the postseason this year. I'm a Phillies fan. I'm an advocate, but I'm just going on what's solid from last year, and that's the mid-'80s win record. Um, and if the wild card wasn't expanded, we didn't get in anyway. Um, so I, I, it's kind of almost like a fluke, and they made a hell of a run um, in the playoffs, which is great. And that's, but that's just my gut on there. Hopefully I'm wrong. Um, I called the, more about the, uh, the Eagles and the social media. I'm all for it. Let the guys say who they like. It's, in the long run, it's going to hold them more accountable. Yeah, well, you know, what, in terms of, uh, you know, if they get their choice, then then they better play well? Yeah, what's it going to be? It, it, you can't sit there, well, I didn't like the way the coach called the plays or I didn't like the way that they have our practice going. What do you mean? You, you knew the guy. You knew how he runs the, runs the, runs the DBs. You knew how he was going to run the defense. So step your game off. Um, I don't think it's any different than when a player advocates for either a free agent or a trade to come to a team, yo, come to Philadelphia, with whatever position, whoever the hot guy is out there at the time, trying to pick it up, whether it's defense, offense. But you hear it all the time. I mean, I, the NBA is notorious for it. How many times have we seen teams built because of social media of who a star once surrounding them? And you start getting power. We've seen it before, the powerhouse teams that just absolutely dominate. Yeah, fair, fair enough, Steve. And, you know, I, and my whole thing is just the social media part of it. Like, I think it's a little different than recruiting a player because, like, if you're recruiting a player, you know, you're doing that intentionally. Like, you want people to see it. You want people to see that you're recruiting a guy. Like, as far as a coach, I just don't see what it really accomplishes. Like, Darius Slay, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, if they want to get in touch with Howie Roseman and give their input, they are able to do that. You know, I don't see – why you're doing it in this situation. To me, it's just putting, you know, undue uh, stress and pressure on the organization. I, I can see where you're coming from. I, uh, I I think maybe, though, it's easy for an organization to have plausible deniability, if you will, if they keep that conversation behind closed doors. They could easily sit there and say, nah, no players came out and advocated for them. And then it turns into a he said, she said at the end of the day, and you got a bigger problem than when you did – from just having players supporting a coach that thinks they should get a spot. doesn't mean the organization has to, but it's also nice to know in the pulse, especially when a player is going to put it on social media with his name on it or her name on it, where they really stand. They can't take it back. They're pot committed. Ball's in your court, you know? Yeah, no, fair enough, Steve. And, hey, man, I appreciate the call. And, yeah, I mean, I, I again, like, I don't know that I'm right on this issue. Like, I, maybe I'm just being grumpy and, and – uh, looking for a problem where there is none. I mean, I don't think it's like the worst thing in the world. I just think if your organization is going through a process and the Eagles are trying to get the best defensive coordinator in here, and if they think Denard Wilson is that guy, he's going to get the job. 
I just don't see the need for the players to come out and make that public. Like, I think you can go behind closed doors, and yeah, I mean, could the organization essentially lie and say that nobody came out in support of them? They could. I don't really know how that would, would benefit them um, to lie about what their players told them or did not tell them. But, yeah, I just don't think it's it's necessary in this sort of situation. Like, the Eagles are are trying to get the best guy. They obviously want to be- get the best guy. They want to get somebody who they think is going to be able to handle that responsibility. Um, maybe DeMar- Denard Wilson is that guy. I just don't think uh, it's necessary for them to come out and do it on social media. Let's go to Tom in Dubai. What's up, Tom? Hey, Tom, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. Um, I think the Phillies could go up to 100 wins this year with the improved lineup and the fact that Girardi tanked our first third of the season last year. That's interesting, Tom, the the, the Girardi factor, because, I mean, when you do look at it from that perspective, it does change things a little bit. Because, yeah, they finished 87 and 75, but you take out those first two months. I mean, they were, what, 10 games under 500 those first two months, something like that? Yeah, something like that. I, I agree. So I'm I'm excited for them. And um, a new rule I want to get your opinion on, uh, it's not enacted, but I think it should be, that if uh, in the NFL, if a player's not actively trying to score in the red zone, it's unsportsmanlike conduct. So, like, the ending we had in the Super Bowl, it should play out differently. Oh, Tom, I, I totally disagree with that. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's, it's strategy, you know? Like, why would the Chiefs want to score in that situation? Well, I think I, I understand, and I remember being a kid watching uh, Brian Westbrook do it, I think against the Cowboys, saving yep. a game for us. And I liked it then, but now I'm thinking about it. And as football is a team game, I think you have to rely on your defense to come through and win for you. Yeah, I, I hear you, and I appreciate the call all the way from uh, Dubai, Tom. I appreciate it. I don't know. I, what do you think, Francisco? I think I, I, I think that's a, that, that's a terrible suggestion. That's a terrible change yeah the whole kneeling that being a sportsman-like conduct yeah i mean what is stupid no that's uh, that's it's part of the game why would the chiefs want to score there like if you can kill clock and have the ability to just kick a field goal and win and i guess you're looking at it from the perspective of it would make the game more exciting but no you can't be doing that nfl's the ultimate the ultimate uh sport of strat well maybe baseball is but and you know nfl is up there it's it's sport of you know, strategy and schemes and all that stuff. Like, man, I don't want them to get rid of the tush push because it's strategy. Yeah. No, you know and, what I mean? No. It's, I know you want to bring that up too, but like, I, it, it just, no, I I think it's part of the game. Yeah, no doubt about it. And if you want to get in 215-592-9494, uh, 215-592-9494 if you want to join the show. But yeah, I mean, you can't take out the ability of a player to slide down short of the goal line and and milk time. Like, that's obviously, you know, that's a strategical decision. That's what what, what guy what, what you should do in that situation. That's a guy making a smart play. Now, I like Tom's creativity. Like, I get it from his perspective as an Eagles fan not liking it. But, yeah, that that's, that's in my mind, not a rule that you can change. 215-592-9494. But uh, asking for your favorite uh, or the best rule changes – in sports history, off the pitch clock, which I really think is incredible. Now, a rule change that I'm not in favor of. And uh, this is going to be one of the big uh, discussion points 
this week at the Combine and when the owners do meet, is the Eagles, the quarterback sneak, uh, more well-known now as a tush-push. Here was Colin Cowherd last week giving his take on whether this rule should be changed. I said yesterday, oh, nothing but pushback. This rugby scrum they use in the NFL, the Eagles did, they're not going to, that thing's not going to last. Dean Blandino used to work for the league. Now Fox Sports said the league will address it. They're going to get rid of it. Uh, One of the things I said yesterday is you're going to have 32 teams using this six and seven times a game. And Sean Payton, sure enough, came out yesterday and said, I will absolutely use that thing to death on third and fourth and one. It is absolutely a weight advantage. It's an unstoppable play. It's an automatic. Folks, as I said yesterday, leagues want to get rid of automatics. Automatic equals boring. That's why the NFL moved the PAT back. It was too easy. This is too automatic. Nobody's picking on the Philadelphia Eagles. They found a loophole in the, quote, tax system, and now it's time for the NFL slash IRS to close the loophole. And that's that's BS, too. Like, just like the sliding down short of the goal line, this is, really does bother me. And if you want to get into 15-592-9494, is just because the Eagles have found something that they are very good at. Like, nothing that they are doing has ever been illegal. Like, in the course of, of NFL history, nothing the Eagles do on that play has ever been illegal. First off, teams are just stupid for not just sneaking on fourth and short or third and short anyway. Like, part of it is teams outthinking themselves and going shotgun in these kind of situations. Like, you look at the numbers, most teams are going to be able to get these sneaks anyway. This is not illegal. This is just because the Eagles are good at it. And do I think it's significantly going to change them being efficient in getting quarterback sneaks? Probably not, because Jalen Hurts is great at quarterback sneaks. Like, Jason Kelsey, Landon Dickerson, when you have those guys in the middle, you're going to be good at it regardless. Like, I don't think Jalen Hurts needs these guys pushing behind him necessarily, but it shouldn't be taken away. Like, it is something that the Eagles have practiced, something that they have studied, something that they have found to be an efficient part of their offense. The fact that the NFL is changing this, basically, like, am I wrong, Francisco? It's basically because one team is good at it. One team is too good at it. They're changing the rule. There's nothing about this that should be illegal. No, I agree with you. The quarterback sneak has been around for as long as I can remember. You know, back going back to my days when I started playing Madden, I loved use, using the quarterback sneak. You know what? Because it's strategy. Just like I like I said a couple minutes ago, it's strategy. There's nothing, man. It's it's the league hating Philadelphia. It's it's fine. It's something something we're good at. Oh yeah, well you know, it, uh, oh it's automatic. Well you know, get rid of the QB. Like what 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 was the guy saying a couple minutes earlier about the the, the quarterback kneel? Had, so get rid of why aren't they having why haven't they got rid of that? Right, and, and just when you look at when you look the Eagles running it, this is the it's not that the Eagles are doing anything illegal. It's that they have a quarterback who's really damn good at doing it. Like that's all it is. Because you remember in the Saints game. The Eagles tried to run a quarterback sneak with Minshew. Didn't work. Like, if you don't have a quarterback with a low center of gravity who's got freakishly strong legs like Jalen Hurts does, you're not going to have the same level of success. And the Eagles are getting screwed here. Like, they are getting screwed. And and, and it's, it's not right. Like, this should not be allowed that a rule is getting changed just because they're good at it. And I would, I'll tell you what, I would feel this way even if it wasn't the Eagles, even if it was a different team. You should not be changing rules just because one team has found a way to exploit it and because they're good at it. It sucks. 
It's BS, and it shouldn't be allowed. I hate that this rule is being changed, and I hope it doesn't go through, but I think it will because I think the owners are crybabies, and they're afraid that, that they will never be able to stop the Eagles on a quarterback sneak because, oh, they're cheating and they're pushing his tush. Well, you know what? They're doing it the right way, okay? That's the, 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 they're, they're making this efficient. They are making uh, the most of a difficult play. They, you need to, to find a way to, to, to pick up that yard. The Eagles are doing the right thing. It's BS that they're changing this. And I don't think I, – I, I, I hope Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie don't take this laying down. That's all I'll say. They should have the freedom to push the tush if they want. And that, that, that's my Sorry. take on it. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. TK, can I say one thing? Sure. I don't think – this isn't going to like – this isn't going to come between the Eagles and championship, though. I just wanted to say that. Like, the Eagles it aren't going to – No, you know? it's not. They're not going to – How gonna do you lose know? A, oh, listen, they're not, they're not going to not get to the Super Bowl because they're going to change the tush push or whatever. You do not they're know not, that. Yeah, I, I do. If, they're – they're, they're, it's not going to come between them. I promise you that. If there's a not. fourth and one and they need a yard and they can't push the tush, who knows if they're going to get the first down. That's all I'm saying. And they're getting screwed here. And it's not right. And the league should be ashamed that they are trying to bail out all these other teams just because they can't stop it. Just because they have a play that they have not found a way to do. You know what defenses need to do? Need to do? They need to adjust. That's what they need to do. Find a way to stop it. Don't Punish the Eagles for doing something well. It's not right. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Open lines right now if you want to join the show. 215-592-9494. But I'll throw it out there in the last segment here. Do you think the tush push should be allowed? Do you think the Eagles are getting screwed? I do. 215-592-9494. That's how you get in. Also, when we get back, we need to talk about a former Philadelphia athlete has been released. No, I will not even entertain the idea of bringing him back. Uh, but uh, we'll we'll get to that when we return here. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio ninety four WIP. Sports Radio ninety four WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you for another segment here, taking you up till ten o'clock. Jody Mack at that time, uh, and then tomorrow night, me and Jody do a little switcheroo. Jody's on at six. I'm on at ten. Uh, so I'll be following Jody tomorrow. He follows me tonight. Um, if you want to get in 215-592-9494, uh, talking about the tush push and that being outlawed in the NFL, uh, potentially. We'll see how it goes this week. But the Sixers game has just come to an end. Sixers lose tonight to the Miami Heat at home, 101-99. Sixers down two, eight seconds left, get a chance. Joel Embiid uh, in the post, gets double teamed, kicks it out to James Harden for three. Harden misses. A shot that would have won the game. And the Sixers lose 101 to 99. And if you want to get in and discuss the end of that game, 215 592 9494. 215 592 9494. But you look at tonight, and again, like it's just a two man team. Like you look, or, or a three man team tonight. Tyrese Maxey was phenomenal. Uh, so that was an encouraging sign. Tyrese Maxey off the bench, 23 points in 27 minutes. They need that moving forward. But. Embiid has 27. James Harden, another rough night, has 20 points, but only 5 of 14 from the field. Two points for Tobias Harris tonight. And you just can't have it. And, and honestly, you, there's no more excuses for Tobias. Like, I, I I, honestly really like Tobias as a guy. 
I really do. I think he's a, a, a good a, a good person in the community, good teammate. He's just a disaster at that contract. An absolute disaster. And I thought he showed encouraging signs last year. Like, Tobias toward the end of the season played well, and I thought in the playoffs he played very well. I thought in the Miami series he did a good job defending Jimmy Butler. Tobias Harris having two points is a disgrace. Like, you cannot live that way. Um, you know, P.J. Tucker has eight. DeAnthony Melton has six. And again, you just get no contributions from the rest of the bench. Maxi has 23, but the rest of your bench, two for Jalen McDaniels, two for George Niang. George Niang tonight, a minus 12 in seven minutes. Like, get get this guy out of here. I'm so – I don't need the bang-bang George Niang. He's terrible. The guy stinks. I don't want to see him anymore. Shake Milton – who we've been waiting for for years, three points for him. And you look at the other side. You look at Miami. I mean, Miami gets contributions. They have five guys in double figures in this game. Jimmy has 23. Uh, Bam Adebayo made it a great defensive play on Joel Embiid on the second-to-last possession, uh, has 13. Um, And, you know, this Miami team is another team that you look at in the East right now. And I look at them compared to the Sixers – and they're just tougher. Like, they're just a tougher team. They're deeper. They don't have as great a player as Joel Embiid, certainly. Um, but if the Sixers played Miami in the playoffs again this year, I'd probably pick Miami. And that tells you all you need to know uh, about where the Sixers are right now. If we're talking about this team as a, being a legit finals contender, you need to have no doubts you can beat a team like Miami that's been disappointing this year. But the Sixers lose 101-99. Would love your reaction. 215-592-9494. Let's go to John in Chester. What's up, John? Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, got gotcha. you. Hey, good evening. Thanks for having me. No problem. Uh, the tush-push rule is completely blasphemous. It, there's no question about it. It has been a part of the game for so long. Interior runs, receiving help from offensive linemen pushing running backs forward has been a part of it forever. Now, uh, even from a QB sneak perspective, Tom Brady did this a ton. Um, and no one complained about it then because Tom was the golden boy. There's no question in my mind that this is, a, is in fact, a shot at Philadelphia. Now, the question is if they get away with pulling off this heist um, is whether it's actually going to have an impact on the Eagles. Now, I think the good news is that we're, pro- uh, my opinion is that we're probably better suited to deal without that with the, under the burden of that rule should it go forward because we have the quarterback with the strongest darn legs in the league. I mean, um, we, if anyone could get away without having assistance or a push on the inside, on an inside interior run, it's probably Jalen Hurts, baby, you know? No, John, um, I agree. Like, I don't think, I don't think it's honestly going to hurt the Eagles that bad because like you said, Jalen's so, so good and so strong that I think he'll be able to get a lot of those anyway. What bothers me more than anything is just the idea of them doing it. Absolutely. Now, one thing, one positive that I would, if they do uh, go forward with it, that I would hope would happen is that it actually helps the Eagles in this way, that it sort of lowers the bar in the sense of um, no one else can pick up and copy it as effectively as we were doing it because they don't have the raw materials we have. Like, for instance, if you try to have, you know, um, let's say you have Joe Burrow trying to accomplish this without a tush push is there's no way they have the conversion rate that the Eagles would be able to accomplish with the same rules with the same rules. So hopefully if they do pull this thing off, it actually prevents it from being copied successfully in the way that the Eagles did in record numbers this year. I mean, that was, let's be honest, that was pretty amazing. 
was it not? Oh, yeah, no no doubt about it, John. It was incredible what they were able to do with it, and I appreciate the call. And, yeah, I mean, I think in that sense maybe it would help them in a way, like even though I don't think they were beaten on it that, that badly. But that's the thing. Like, if this was so easy and such like a cheat code, if you will, then why wouldn't every team do it? Like, like seriously. And that's what I don't understand with the NFL and why they think changing this rule makes sense because it's not like every team's doing it. Like it's not like every team is 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 running this on short yardage and, and getting these conversions. Only one team is. What does that tell you? Because they're better at it. Because they have personnel that can convert these plays. They have personnel that can do these things at a high level. You know that that's that's the 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 point here. And again, like I don't even think the rule change. I don't think it'll hurt the Eagles that bad because I think Jalen is strong enough. I think with certainly with his lower body, he's going to get the majority of those sneaks anyway. But to me, it's just the idea of it that you're just basically changing it because one team's really good at it. I mean, I I don't get how you, how you can justify that. And I don't get how the Eagles allow it to happen without significant pushback. It's not like every team's doing it. One team is, and it's because they're just better. Let's go to Kyle in Downingtown. What's up, Kyle? Hey, Tom. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Uh, you know, John actually beat me to the punch. The reason I was calling was to see if I was the only one who remembered Tom Brady pulling this all the time back in the day. Getting rid of the tush push just because the Eagles are good at it is ridiculous in yeah. my mind. Yeah, and, and, and that's what, what's annoying about it. Like, if, if every team – and I still wouldn't like it, but if every team was doing it, it would be one thing. But there's a reason why the Eagles are the only team that's able to do this. Exactly. And the Sixers, I mean, this inability to finish has just gotten so frustrating lately. I didn't get to watch the game tonight, but they haven't finished a game, and it feels like forever. No, and Kyle, yeah, man, and I appreciate the call. And, yeah, I mean, the way this game went, the Sixers were pretty much down all night, honestly. The Heat. It, 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 like and obviously doing the show, you can't really watch it all that closely. But I felt like every time I looked up at the screen, the Sixers were down like five to ten points. It just felt like that the entire night. They claw back late, they tie it. But yeah, I mean, they just the, the last couple possessions were bad. I mean, Embiid isolation uh, gets blocked by Bam Adebayo. It was really a tremendous play by 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 Adebayo in that spot uh, to to block Embiid. And then, you know, they, they, they're, and they were down one at the time. Uh, back on the other end of the floor, Jimmy Butler gets fouled by Harden, goes to the line, makes one of two, and then the Sixers got a good look at the end. Harden just missed it. But, like, this is – there's just something about this team. And, again, like, it, it – part of it is tangible. Like, I do think they're not well coached down the stretch. Like, Doc isn't going to outcoach anybody down the stretch. Like, if you're going to win at the end of games, it's going to be on your talent – because Doc is not going to out-scheme you, out-scheme anybody. He's just not. Doc is a fine regular season coach who will coach a team to its talent level. He doesn't give you any distinct advantages. But you look at the reasons why do they falter at the end of games, I think part of it is they have no bench and they're tired. Like, they actually There's something about this team that just is lacking. 
and, and it's like you can't even put your finger on it. Part of it is, yeah, the depth issues. Part of it is the roster issues. But part of it is just uh, there. there's an intangible factor. I feel like Boston has, that Milwaukee has, and that even a team like Miami has, where the Sixers are better talent-wise than Miami. I thought that in the playoffs last year. I thought going into that series, if we're looking at this based off talent, the Sixers should have won that series. But this is where all those other things come into it. The coaching, you know, the toughness, you know, the leadership of a guy like Jimmy Butler who won't allow you know, kind of these these lax moments. And you see it at the end of this game tonight. Just the Sixers not being able to finish, not being able to close out. And even a team like Miami, if they see Miami in the playoffs this year, I don't feel great about the Sixers' chances in that series. Let's go to Robert in Germantown. What's up, Robert? Good evening, Tom. Yeah, I watched the game. I'm an old basketball coach, played, so on. Uh, I put it down to two things. Um Bolster is just a far, far better coach than, than our guy. There's no question about that in my Sp- mind. Spolster is an unbelievable coach. You know, he just – and then toughness. You know, I've, I've never been impressed with the toughness of our guys compared to Butler, compared to LeBron, compared to Gianni. I mean, Embiid, he's like a big child in a man's body, but he just doesn't seem – and, you know, we used to call it uh, at LaSalle Academy where I was an assistant coach in New York City. They talked forever about having a high basketball IQ. Our guys don't have that. Harden sort of does. Harden makes good decisions and makes clever plays and under that. But you're right. Tobias Harris is totally missing in action. But that's that's the system. They're just not running a system where he's allowed to do what he's good at, which is basically spot-up shooting, right? It's just... I blame our coach. Our coach is not going to take us past the first round if we have to see a team like Miami. We're going to get our coach. It's not about having superior talent. It's about coaching. It's about the system. It's about being tough. Yeah. I don't see it. No, and I think that's a, it's a big part of it, Robert, no doubt, and I appreciate the call. And, again, this is why – and we can blame Doc all we want. And if you want to get in, if you're leaving the game, you want to uh, you know discuss it, you're welcome to. 215-592-9494. Um, we can bash Doc all we want, but the only reason Doc is here is because of Daryl Morey. Like, let's face it, and, and I understand there's an element of this that needs to be brought up, and I heard uh, Derek Brodner bring this up uh, on the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast with Spike the other day, is Derek Brodner brought up the point that, that you know, um, Doc was hired before Daryl Morey. And, and I understand that, and that, that is certainly uh, a legitimate aspect to all of this and maybe Josh Harris you know wants Doc to be here but as the general manager that's where Daryl Morey if he really has the trust of ownership Daryl Morey needs to be insistent and I can't friggin believe after that series against Miami when the team flat out quit on the floor like and this it still pisses me off even today is that game six was one of the most disgraceful performances I've ever seen from a Philadelphia team ever. I mean, the Sixers, in a game that they were very much in against Miami, with the season on the line, the opportunity to force game seven, they just quit. All of them. And that includes Embiid. It certainly includes Harden. They just essentially stopped playing in that game. 
I couldn't believe the next day I'm driving around and I'm listening to this press conference and they are basically saying they're bringing Doc back next year. I couldn't believe it. And it's like, is Doc the only problem? No. But when you have a team that quits on the floor in an elimination game, you got to change the coach. Like, it's really not that hard. Whether it was promoting Sam Cassell, promoting Dave Yeager, bringing a guy off of that bench who maybe, you know, could 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 get the players to respond differently. Whether it's bringing in somebody from the outside. Uh, D'Antoni was a guy that was mentioned. I don't care. You couldn't bring Doc back after this. And that was what was so frustrating to me after last year. Because you know that Doc's not going to get it done. You know that Doc doesn't give you any tangible advantages. You know that Doc, on top of the team quitting in that series, part of why they struggled to begin with was Doc not even allowing for the fact that DeAndre Jordan couldn't play and continuing to put him out on the floor and, and you know, doing tactical things wrong and letting Spolstra totally dominate him from a coaching perspective in that series. I couldn't believe that they brought Doc back, and that's on Daryl Morey. And the bench is on Daryl Morey. And bringing Harden back and letting Harden pick guys like Daniel House, who's totally useless to bring in here to be on this team, that's on Daryl Morey. So, yeah, we can yell about Doc. He's not doing a good job. But Morey is the person who is most responsible for the failure of this season. 215-592-9494. Let's go to Stephen Egg Harbor. What's up, Steve? I'm going to shit here for a little bit. Yo, Steve. Yo, Steve. How you doing? What's up? Hello? Yeah, Steve, you're on the air. What's up? Yeah, what's going on? Yeah, I mean, I just listened to you, man. The Sixers are like they always been. They're a second-round exit. I mean, I know, you know, they play the tougher teams like Miami, the teams that have some toughness to them, and Boston, the teams that have toughness. They just can't beat the tough teams. It's just the way it is with that team. Um, they, we, we, uh, James Harden has proven in his career he's not a winner. And he never will win. And we have this guy, and then he brings in T.J. Tucker, who can't score either. He's, an, he's a 38-year-old Ben Simmons, basically. And then he can bring in this guy, House, who can't score. And he wanted to bring in Gordon from, from Houston last year. Also, it was, thank God we didn't get him in. Because you know what? This team is just not built to win. There is second-round exit waiting to happen, and that's what's going to happen again. Yeah, I mean, Steve, I don't see, I don't see how anybody can watch the last two games – and think that it's going to end any differently. Like, uh, and I, I know you can say, like, okay, well, they're a shot here, shot there away from from beating Boston the other night. There's no way in hell they beat Boston in the seven-game series. No, I mean, I was all over Boston the other night. I mean, I'm a Sixers fan, and I'm betting on the other team. Hoping I lose my money because I'm a Sixer fan. But, you know, I think if I'm going to feel miserable after the game, I might as well put 100 bucks in my pocket. Well, That's the way I look at it. <laughs> so, But another thing I, I always wanted to say, I mean, who would you rather have career-wise? I'm asking you as a basketball guy, Dwayne Wade or James Harden? I'd rather, I mean, I'd rather have Wade. And, I, yeah, I appreciate the call, Steve. I mean, yeah, I'd rather have Dwayne Wade. I mean, Harden obviously has tremendous numbers. And, hey, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I was all about the Harden trade last year. And I still think, you know, it wasn't the worst possible outcome. I mean, look at the guy you got traded for is basically a DNP every night now. And Ben Simmons, like, he's just not even somebody who, uh, who who is in a rotation. But in retrospect, yeah, I mean, the Sixers, they probably should have made the deal they could have made with Sacramento. Like, I mean, instead of trading for Harden, they could have gotten a package with what? Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald and guys like that. They would have been deeper. 
like ultimately, I think they probably would have been better. Um, and you know, Daryl Morey, I think his relationship with James Harden got in the way. Um, I think that Halliburton healed package would have been the one that 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 would have made this team better, and it would have made them deeper, would have solved a lot more of their issues. And you know, I think this team would be much more of a legitimate contender than they are now with just Harden and Embiid and really uh, very little else outside of Maxi, and especially with Tobias Harris kind of going in the tank the way he has. 215-592-9494. Get back to the phones in one second here, but I, I did tease this before the break, and I wanted to bring it up before we get out of here. Um, I mentioned Ben Simmons right there, and a guy I always kind of equivocate with Ben Simmons because they're just you know similar times in Philadelphia history, such similar careers, and, man, we were right about both of them. Carson Wentz released today by the Washington Commanders. And I was saying to you before the show, Francisco, and maybe you could talk a little sense into me here. Part of me, and I I, I was a big, at the, at the end, very anti-Wentz. I couldn't wait to have him gone. Part of me feels a little bad for, for, for what's happened to him. Like, part of me feels a little bad for him. Is is that crazy? Is that crazy to to feel a little bad for for the way his career is just completely spiraled out of control? Listen, I I, I love Carson for the way he contributed to this. Well, I don't love I don't love him. Right, I'm I'm talking about that time period of Carson once, like okay. the 2017 Carson once. That time period, I I will forever love that Carson once. Since that year, since he came back and everything that came out about him, um, and him going to Indianapolis. And then going to Washington, I have no feelings towards him anymore. Look, you know, you never wish anything bad upon anybody. But him getting released by the commanders, man, we all knew this was happening. It was going to happen. I have no, I have no, like, sympathy at this point, TK. Like, it's it's over. It's over. He went to a division rival, too. Uh, was there a feel? Did you have feelings to, then when, when he went to the commanders, like, like, well, what is this, TK? I don't, I don't know. No, 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 no. You're right. You're right. I know I I'm right. I don't feel bad for him. And I'm glad he's gone. And uh, him was it that easy? Seeds. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm. I, I realized I didn't really feel bad for him. So. Are you lying to me? Or are you being serious? No, no. I'm serious. I, okay. I, I'm. And Wentz, we'll see what happens the rest of his career. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what happens to him. Like, I could see him retiring. Like, I, I, I don't think he's a guy who really wants to be a backup. And he's not, I don't think, going to have the opportunity to even compete for a job at this point in his career, at least this season. So uh, we'll see. But, yeah, I, I, I think, uh, you know, it's it's unbelievable what's happened to both him and Simmons the last couple of years. Uh, let's go to Robin Delco. What's up, Rob? Yo, TK, what's up, buddy? How you doing? I don't want to get bleeped out, but it's the same BS with this team, whether it's Brett Brown, whether it's Doc Rivers, I agree with you. You couldn't bring Doc back, but eventually I got to throw it on these players, Jeff. I mean, TK, you know, it's, they got like, it's like a two minute offense of football. It's all about execution. I've seen the time after time when it's the postseason, the regular season. You're right. They play a team that's a little bit more physical than them. They, they sure move up. If I see Tobias Harris get the ball again with under 10 seconds to go and take the dribble like it's a hot potato and get rid of it. And give it to MB with five or six seconds. Like, what do you want him to do with a seven foot one guy, two hundred eighty five pounds at the top of the key? I mean, come on, he's not—he's great, but 
you know, they can't execute down the stretch. It's unbelievable. They don't get shots off. They get shot clock violations. It's the same freaking team every year with this squad. I, I just can't take it anymore. No, I, Rob, it's 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 frustrating. And again, like it's true. Like down the stretch against teams like that, you know you're playing at a disadvantage because of your coach. Like, yep. you know, like, Doc against Spolstra is just laughable, the matchup. You know, he's been getting out coached by, by, and all Sixers coaches have been getting out coached by Boston coaches for years. It's just like when you don't have a clear talent advantage, it's just way too much to overcome. TJ, let me ask you one more quick question. Is there, how many more years has Tobias got left? One more? I, I don't know. I think, well, his first year of the deal was 2020. Yeah, I think he's got one more after this year. Can we trade his ass? He can trade his ass next year with one year left. You know, just get rid of him. I'm going to start calling him Anthony Davis his nickname, Street Clothes. Although he plays. I wish he wasn't Street Clothes and not playing. Rob, yeah. I, I hear you, man. And I'm I, done. Uh, yeah. Have a good night, TK. I appreciate man. the call, buddy. Thanks. And, yeah, I mean, and Tobias is, is frustrating because I honestly, I go through periods with him where I feel like, okay, he's not that bad. Like, he can be a useful player. And it felt like he was getting there last year. Like, I thought the way, like, there was an adjustment period after they traded for Harden. The first couple weeks, Tobias wasn't good. But the last few weeks of the regular season and into the playoffs, I thought he was very good. Like, I thought Tobias Harris in the postseason was was one of their best players. He had to defend Jimmy Butler in the Miami series. I thought overall he did a pretty good job. Um was giving you some offense, was being more aggressive in terms of just catching and shooting, which is the role they kind of need for him now. But he'll go through these periods where he just goes in the tank. And to not like Tobias Harris scoring two points and going, you know, one for four from the field is unacceptable. The fact that he's only taking four shots on this team where he's got to be at worst a fourth scorer is unacceptable. And he only takes two threes. Like, you just you got to find a way to 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 utilize him better. And if you can't utilize him, and again, it's where I think it all comes back to Maury. If you can't utilize him, you should have traded him in the off season and got whenever you could back and gotten at least some depth. Let's go to John, last caller of the night. What's up, John? Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Um, you know, just a few things. One, I think it's time for the Melton experiment in the starting line to end. I don't, I, I just can't see it working anymore. He's only at, I mean, this month he's only averaging seven points a game, which, I mean, I don't know how much you expect from Melton, but I think you need, I mean, what Tyrese was averaging, what, 23 points a game as a starter before you took him out, right? Something like that? Uh, something like that. I mean, he was certainly averaging more than Melton. Yeah, so I think it's time for that experiment. And, I mean, I guess the defense is going to be a little worse than and Maxi, but you make up for it. On the offensive end. And just uh, one more thing. Uh, people love to jump on this Tobias Harris bandwagon when he has, like, a game, a good game or two. Uh, I just – I don't see it. Yeah, he – like, last game, he got – his box score was at 19 points. But when you look at the first half and second half, he had 15 in the first and four in the second. And in his last six quarters, he's had six points. So I, I just don't think you can rely on him down the stretch as a fourth option. And it sucks that you kind of have to because you're paying him – $36 million this year. But John, I, John, how point, amazing is that? A guy making that kind of money and you can't rely on him as a fourth option. He, I mean, he, he made $18 million per point tonight. <laughs> it's, it's insane. It, it's, uh, it, thank, you, thank you for your time. I appreciate yeah, it. No, it's, it's, and I appreciate it, John. It's crazy, and it's frustrating. And, 
you know, I don't I don't know where to go with it. I don't know where they even go from here to rebuild this thing. And I don't know. I think John's right. It is time. Put Maxi back in the starting lineup. And if you need Melton in the starting lineup that bad, maybe you bring Tobias off the bench. And he's just the most expensive bench player of all time. But you got to do something. Like, you got to do something to change things up. Um, but unfortunately... Uh, I don't. I don't think this is a title contender. I think this is another second round exit, uh, and that's very unfortunate. But that'll do it for me tonight. I will be back tomorrow night um, from ten to two. Jody Mack is coming up next. Jody Mack will be with you tomorrow night at six as well. So uh, hang on for Jody. He's coming up. Thank you to Francisco Rojas for producing the show. I'm Tom Kelly. I'll talk to you to talk to you tomorrow. Sports Radio ninety four WIP. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.